1: What's up, what's up, everybody? Ricky Widmer here, along with the one, not the only. It's not Brandon Swanson, it's Sean Anderson. Hey, 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 I feel like, you know what I was thinking about doing? What's so up? So you know how on the YouTube channel, how we have the about section, mm-hmm. and it says, like, the podcast that you're under? I think recently, with how much you've been on this podcast, I think we can put the primetime podcast
0: next to you. Just fully. put floater. Like, Fast break, comma, floater. Like, float. you
1: just, you're on all of them. You've been filling <laughs> In for the primetime podcast. This is like what the third time in almost in two months? Yes, you were on back to back duty mm-hmm. back in the last month. But we got a jam packed show for you guys. Actually, got Matt calling in a little Patreon segment to lead it off, and then we're going to roll right through with our football previews. We got the rest of the SEC, the SEC East to preview today. Actually, recording this in advance. So while you guys are seeing this go live, I'm not here. Dave and I are in California. We're at VidCon. We're actually not going to be here in Chicago, so we're pre-recording this one. Before we get into it, before I welcome Matt in, little housekeeping here at the beginning. A, if you want to be like Matt and be on a podcast, make sure to check out patreon.com backslash Podcast. That's where you can support MVP each and every month. Also, go to our store, link down below in the description, where you can get our t-shirt, nice MVP t-shirt. That can be found in the link down below or at Where You can also catch MVP each and every day. And then last but not least, go on to Apple Podcasts, go on to iTunes, give the Primetime Podcast and all the podcasts MVP a five-star rating, and then type in a little something something about why people should listen to it, what do you like about it, and it would really help us out in the long run. But we're going to welcome in a patron from, I don't even remember how many months it's been, it's been forever it seems like, Matt calling in today. Matt, how you doing today?
2: Not too bad, got through Monday, how about you guys?
1: One of those days.
0: I got through Monday, applied to a couple jobs, and woke up at 12. So it was pretty great.
1: I I envy that waking up at 12. I wish I could do that every single day, Sean. So live it up while you can. But Matt calling in today. We're talking a little college basketball. So Matt, when he sent in the message for us, he's like, you know what? I don't really know what to title it, but basically what we're going to talk about is there were a ton of players that said, hey, I'm going to the draft. And there were some that went to the draft. There's obviously some that came back. So we're going to take a look at the NFL draft returnees, I'm calling them. And we're going to talk about which college basketball teams benefited the most from the players that pulled out and didn't actually go into the NBA draft. We're just going to kind of do it roundtable style. We'll start with Matt, our honored guest. So Matt, I'll let you go first. Who's one guy, one team you want to start the show off with? Talking about who benefited most from the NFL draft returnees,
2: um, NBA draft.
1: Did I say right. NFL? I
2: just want to make sure we're talking the same. It thing. It is
1: NBA. I I probably do that each and every show. We're talking NBA. Way to go, Ricky. Who is your for college basketball? Who's a team? Who's a guy that you're excited is coming back from the NBA draft, not the NFL draft? <laughs> it's all just a it's all just a jumble up here in my head.
2: Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, shocker, I guess I'll start off with, with my team, um, Purdue. So, um, the guy there was really heading in, there wasn't much concern with Carson Edwards, um, sophomore that made his name known last year and, and was, um, awarded the best shooting guard in the nation and was second team all American. But, um, he did get invited to the combine. He was a late invite, and he had a pretty good performance, from what I heard, such that you know people thought he might sneak in and get taken. So his return is huge for Purdue, having you know four other senior starters that are gone. If if he would have gone, they they would have lost all five starters. But instead, they're going to return what what should be um, the Big Ten preseason player of the year and probably uh, a first team preseason All-American type guy.
1: Yeah, and I know for me, a lot of the guys, and this is kind of taking the Purdue one and kind of blending it in. A lot of these guys are, hey, they were like for Edwards looking at the stats. He led the team in scoring. Mm-hmm. So it's like any time you can return your leading scorer from last year. You're probably going to do good things the next year with them back on the team.
0: Well, I think the one thing that is massive that Matt did mention is the fact that he's the only starting uh, starter coming back. And that's, mm-hmm. that's huge for this Purdue team because Purdue had one of their best years in such a long time. They finally were able to get over that hump. It seems like Purdue, you know, Matt Painter always has some decent seasons in the regular season. And then they hit the NCAA tournament and aren't really able to get over that hump. They hit that hump this year, and Carson Edwards is just having that stability in the starting lineup and having a scorer, like you mentioned, the leading scorer, Mm -hmm. is going to be so dangerous for this Purdue team, especially if they want to get back to where they reached this year in the NCAA tournament and possibly even reach a Final Four. It's going to be massive for them having Carson Edwards back.
1: No, and I'm going to throw it over to you, Sean, because with Purdue, we'll kind of bring in one of yours because Purdue's not the only team, I'm setting you up for this one, Mm -hmm. Purdue's not the only team that's going to have a big guy coming back that uh you know Edwards sounds like a first like a first name, last name. The guy you're gonna mention, he might have two first names as well.
0: I thought you were just going with the Big Ten connection that these two have. But yeah. my guy's Charles Matthews yeah. from Michigan, six six from Chicago, Illinois, out of St. Rita High School, mm-hmm. Charles Matthews, last year, 13 points. He was a transfer from Kentucky. Uh, he was in the Calipari um, you know, uh, recruitment class um, back in 2015, played for Beeline. Beeline uh, said that Charles Matthews knew of his intentions when he was hiring, uh, going for the uh, Detroit Pistons job. Matthews is coming back, Beeline coming back. You see what he did in that Michigan team in his sophomore year, technically. Um, you look at what he did. 30 minutes per game, 49% from the field, shot 31% from three. Not that great of a free throw shooter, but I think he's going to develop a little bit more, especially when he mm-hmm. has more focus on him in the offense with Mo Wagner leaving. I think it's going to be big for Charles Matthews. He showed a lot as a uh, slashing guard. I think that's going to be big. If he's able to develop that shot a little bit more, get that free throw percentage up to around 65%, it's going to make him more of a dangerous offensive player because he likes to drive to the rim. He's going to get hacked. If he's able to be more efficient there, he's going to be you know obviously a leading scorer and a guy that the Michigan Wolverines will go to on offense, but also if he's able to hit that outside shot just a little bit more, hit about 0.8 per game on 2.6 uh, attempts per game. If he's able to get that up, up to around 34%, not only will he make himself look at like a brighter NBA prospect, but he's also going to help himself and the Wolverines get back to glory and possibly a national championship.
1: Well, and the reason why I set you up for it is because I'm going to take that and I'm going to go back to Matthew because – This is—I'm glad that Matthew started out with his Purdue connection because this is probably—especially me, I know especially Matt— this is the conference where it's like, this is the bread and butter. Like, I love the Big Ten. Obviously, Matt loves as well, his Purdue Boilermakers in the Big Ten. And the thing I look at is both with Purdue and Michigan, getting both Edwards and Matthews coming back is, yeah, Edwards led the team in scoring for Purdue, and Charles Matthews did not. But you look at Michigan— if they would have lost Matthews, even if uh, Purdue would have lost Edwards, that's the top three point getters from last year on both teams. Mm-hmm. Bye bye, we're going pro. Then you look at two other teams, one that was the number one team going into the postseason. The other one, I believe, was number three in the Big Ten. You got teams like Michigan State, Miles Bridges, and I know Jaron Jackson wasn't a top point getter. He was like, what, fifth on the team? But you lose Miles Bridges. That's a big name to lose if you're Michigan State. You got Ohio State also losing guys like Kata Bates-Diop. So for me, this either, whether it's Purdue, Matt, or whether it's Michigan, either one of these two teams can still, with these guys returning, still kind of compete. And maybe one of them, do you think one, either Purdue or Michigan, maybe wins the Big Ten next year because of one of these guys returning?
2: I think it's going to be pretty wide open, to be honest. I think you're you're looking at... I saw an article that kind of went over, looked over this, you know, who came back and especially as it relates to the big 10, which had such a down year last year with only four teams making the tournament, they got a lot of good pieces back that should kind of, you know, help them to be a little better as a conference next year. But that said, I don't think there's going to be one runaway team like maybe Michigan state was pegged last year. I think, um, that it's going to be pretty competitive. Purdue, Michigan, you know, they're showing up in top 25 rankings. Even Wisconsin, I think they kind of hit their stride at the end of last year. Mm -hmm. And with getting Ethan Happ back, that's obviously huge for them. So um, them, Michigan State, you know, they're going to have talent. So I I don't know. I I think it it could, but I think it's only because the conference itself is going to be so wide open.
1: Yeah, and I mean, right now I'm looking at the – recruiting rankings from 24 seven sports.com for last year in the conference. And it's like Michigan, Michigan state right there at three, four. It's like, yeah, you've got Purdue at nine and Wisconsin at 13. But the big thing about both of those schools is just because you're not getting a five-star recruiter, like for Wisconsin, you're not getting a four-star recruit. Doesn't mean you're not bringing in guys and what they're able to work with each and every year. They're not pulling in the Duke level guys and still competing within their own conference, I'm actually going to go out of the big 10 for my first guys. And I'm saying guys, because there's two of them. And these guys were huge when it came to the NCAA tournament, although they got beat by the Cinderella story, which was our hometown Loyola Ramblers. And that is the, I think their brothers, Mm -hmm. the Martin brothers from Nevada, um, Caleb and Cody, and it's like these guys ran that team, especially in the NCAA tournament. They're guys where it's like Caleb was the guy who led the team in scoring. You've got Cody was the guy who led the team in the the assists, and it's like getting these two back. All right, these are the two that are going to be now leaders on our team yet again this year. This is something that I look at, and I know Nevada, a smaller school from the Mountain West. This is something where Nevada fans can look at it and go, hey – Maybe we can win the Mountain West again and get another tournament bid next year.
0: Well, I think, of course, they can win the Mountain West again. Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest thing is now they have this, at least this exposure. And Eric Musselman, a Mm -hmm. former NBA coach, was with the Golden State Warriors, was with the uh, Sacramento Kings, really having a resurgence now with Nevada. Now there's going to be more eyes on them. So that's Mm going to be the biggest thing for Cody and Caleb and this Nevada program is how are you going to deal with eyes on your program? Because you look at what Musselman's been able to do Mm -hmm. at his years in Nevada – 24 and 14, 28 and 7, 29 and 8. They're progressively getting better. These two were transfers from North Carolina State, and they have one final year at Nevada. They're gonna have a ton of pressure on them to produce, to to, to you know take Nevada as far as they possibly can. Nevada clearly not a basketball powerhouse, um, in in no really sense. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing for them is just how will they deal with this pressure. And if they do win in the Mountain West, that means they're going to get a higher seat. They're not going to be a seventh seed going up mm-hmm. against a Texas team with really only Mo Bamba on the outside and also Roach on the outside. And they're not going to have to deal with a Loyola Chicago. They're not going to have to deal with, you know, the weaker tournament team. Uh, hand they kind of got yes they had to beat a cincinnati team but also that cincinnati team didn't really have a go-to score they had a great head coach and a really a defensive mindset but they were able to you know run back in the second half of most of these games and get victories if teams are expecting this from caleb and cody martin especially after a year i think this is you know obviously it's going to help them in the regular season but once it comes to the tournament this might end up just hurting the nevada program that they're coming back because i think musselman's a great fantastic coach but having caleb and cody back the eyes are still going to be on them the mm-hmm. pressure is going to be on them the expectations are going to be larger for nevada and this might end up being a team that you know comes in as a 5 seed faces one of these terrible 12 seeds and gets upset and bounced at the first round
1: i mean anything can like the thing that we've kind of seen is anything can happen in the tournament but also the thing i look at is like look at the loyola story of yeah i would say they're smaller than a nevada team but when you get these smaller schools with that veteran presence and with these two being in the tournament before, it'll be a toss up to see, will the pressure kind of cave them or will it be, Hey, we've been here before. We kind of know what to do. Matt, I'm going to come back to you. Who's another guy on your list that you're excited is returning and will benefit his team next year.
2: So to try to keep some connection, it's, well, let's go with another guy from a team that lost to Loyola um, in the NCAA (laughs) tournament. And that's, that's, Tennessee and Admiral Schofield. So he, you know, this guy's just a monster in, in terms of being an athletic freak and just built like no other. So his his return, I think, is huge, especially for a Tennessee team that surprised a lot of people last year um, in the SEC. And um, they're, you know, it's not just him, Grant Williams. I don't think he necessarily declared, but he um, is another big piece that's back. And, you know, you talk about a team making that, that step as they did last year and now having another year to play one another and kind of um, try to take the next step up. And I, I think that his return is going to be huge for them.
1: Well, and before I kind of, cause I want to get what you're thinking with this, Sean, I would wanted to to throw in this. I'm just going to throw a little bit more on that fire because it's funny that Matt's thinking about Tennessee. I'm thinking about the other surprise from the SEC and Auburn, like they're, Kind of with my Nevada connection, with the SEC connection, they're getting two guys in Heron and Harper coming back where it's like, great, we're getting our top two guys back from next year to where I am expecting Schofield back for the Vols, um, Harper and Heron back for the Tigers. No reason why these two teams shouldn't be Maybe top two, both top three again next year in the SEC.
0: Yeah, and I think one thing too is I'll keep the SEC party (laughs) going because I have two brothers from Mm -hmm. uh, the SEC, Quindary Weatherspoon and Nick Weatherspoon of the Mississippi State Bulldogs. The thing that I look at this with the Mississippi State Bulldogs is you're getting two guys that one was uh, SEC all freshman year, Nick Mm -hmm. Nick Weatherspoon, and then Quindary was uh, second uh, uh, team uh, SEC. And you look at Ben Holland, his first three years at Mississippi State, 14 and 17, 16 and 16, finally gets over that. 500 mark hits 25 and 12, but isn't able to get to the NCAA tournament. Ben Howland obviously had great success at UCLA, two final fours, um, even had two 16s, two sweet 16s with the Pittsburgh Panthers when he was a coach. Hasn't gotten to the tourney yet. Mississippi State hasn't gone to the tourney since 2009. Mm-hmm. It's massive that these two are coming back because you look at what Quindary did. He's a junior. Uh gonna Well, I think he's going to be a senior because, yeah, he's going to be a senior. Uh, but he, what last year, uh 14 points per game. 31% from uh, the three, and then 48% from the field. And you look at what Nick was able to do, 6-2 guard, uh, 47% from the field, 29% from three, eh, 72 from the uh, line, but 10.8 points per game. You're having two guys that know each other, two guys that can score, and you're keeping these two starters around for your team. I think that's massive for Ben Holland's program and massive for the Bulldogs and their fans, because if you want to get back to the NCAA tournament, mm-hmm. if Nick went, that would have been a killer. And if Quindary went, that would have been even a more of a massive. Blast because he is your best player on this team.
1: I actually want to shoot a question at you, Matt, where we both brought up three SEC teams, but I was waiting for when the SEC came up because there's one guy I was waiting for. I was waiting for one of us to bring up his name, and I know Brandon and I, when he made his decision, we're like, we've got to talk about it, and that's Jontae Porter. This is a team, like not like a Tennessee or an Auburn. They weren't a team that led the conference last year. More of a team like, Sean, like you brought up, with a Mississippi mm-hmm. State where they were right there. They were only a game better than Mississippi State. The thing I want to ask you, Matt, with Jontae Porter coming back, how much is that going to benefit the Tigers, if any? Does him kind of coming back move the needle and give them any more wins next year?
2: I think it might. I, I guess I, I struggle with so Missouri's coach... Altonso Martin is a former Purdue guy. So I've kind of, there, there were times when, you know, Purdue was looking, do we do we ditch Painter and go after Martin? Because Martin, he's, he's kind of established this wherever he's been. He's a great recruiter. But for whatever reason, I don't know, he just seems to be stuck in this um, state of, I don't want to call it mediocrity, but for the talent he typically has on his teams, um, he just can't seem to get over the edge. So um, that's not to say that, Porter's return won't won't get him there. But I think um, Missouri in general, just they need to um, take advantage of the conference they're in, I guess. You know, I mean, SEC typically isn't a power conference, and it was admittedly a lot, lot better um, last year. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of deviating from the question a little bit, but Porter's return, it, it's, it's big. It's definitely, you know, it, it outweighs not having him and you kind of knew you were going to lose his brother, but um, I think they just they they if there's going to be a year where they take a step up, it it needs to be now before the SEC, you know, some of the top tier teams establish themselves, and then they they get kind of lost in the mix.
0: I completely agree with you, Matt, that the time is now for Mizzou, and I think the biggest thing about Jonte coming back is they lost their two top scorers in Cassius mm-hmm. Robertson and Jordan Barnett. Those two were seniors. Now they've graduated, and you look at Michael Porter Jr. When he was on there, he was technically the third-leading scorer because he averaged 10 per game in the three games he did play. So you're losing, again, your top three scorers. Mm-hmm. The fourth scorer, Jonte Porter. So Jonte needs to come in as a leader on this this team and they still have guys that are still, you know, we're getting minutes. Uh, Kevin Perrier, he's going to be a senior. He averaged 25 minutes per game. Jeremiah Timlin is a freshman, averaged 19.4 a game. Even Jordan Geist, 26.1 minutes per game. He's coming back. So you're still having some, s- some players on there, but having, Jonte Porter, a guy who was we mocked him at least in the lotto mm-hmm. um, in the NBA, probably would have fell to around the twenties um, if we're being if we're being honest. But he's a guy that is is, is very dynamic. He was able to shoot from the outside. as a six ten forward. He's not as athletic as his brother, but he is a more physical down low. So I think having him and in the SEC having a physical guy, we saw this with uh, uh, Yancey um, in, in Georgia, it, and Yancey Mayton. If we have a, a guy like that who is able to go all the way out down the three-point line and also be physical inside, that's going to be a, a key difference. I think he was SEC player of the year Yancey Mayton was. I don't know if Jonte can do that, but if he's able to put up 15 points, grab about seven boards per game, and even dish out two assists per game to the shooters on the outside like Geist, I think it could be something that you know could really help this Missouri team. And like Matt said, get Konzo over the, over the hump.
1: Well, and I mean the thing I didn't even think about until after I had asked Matt the question about Jonte is just the SEC in general – has a lot of guys returning. Brings up Schofield Matt brings up Schofield from Tennessee. I brought up the two coming back for Auburn. You brought up the, if I'm not mistaken, two players from Mississippi State. Was mm-hmm. it just one or was it two? Two brothers. Two brothers from Mississippi State. We bring up Jonte Porter. One guy we haven't even mentioned was this is a guy that was coming back, I believe, before the combine and Daniel Gafford, because Brandon and I had him in our big board. Mm-hmm. Then he decides, oh, I'm coming back. And the comments section loved to tell us that he's coming back. And it's like, we get it. Um, we did the big board before he made that decision. But that, to me, just all those names, the SEC is going to be very interesting next year to watch. And, I mean, even teams like, I know these aren't ones getting guys back, but like a Georgia team. That's now going to have Tom Crean at the helm. What does Alabama do now without... Colin Sexton, like these are teams like the SEC might be one that's really interesting to watch.
0: Well, it is is massive, too, that Gafford's coming back Mm -hmm. for Arkansas, too, because they lost Darius Hall, they lost C.J. Jones, and Jalen Barford and Daryl Macon both uh, have all left. Uh, Hall and Jones transferred, and Barford and uh, Macon have now Mm -hmm. graduated. So having Gafford back is massive for the Razorbacks.
1: Well, and just kind of to wrap this one out, we'll go, I have none left. We'll go to Matt. We'll see if he has one left. And then, Sean, if you have one left, your final guys. That you want to mention in this segment Matt you're up first hit it
2: so I don't necessarily like this team or root for this team <laughs> but I think <laughs> it's, I think o- it's Carolina... okay
1: I root against Mizzou every time because it's the border war between
2: Illinois <laughs> right. and Mizzou fair enough yeah fair <laughs> enough um but uh I'll go with North Carolina and Luke May his return so um you're talking about I think I think he was voted third team all-american maybe last year so behind Carson outdoors um weirdly enough he I think he's the next best in terms of you know all-american status last year so I would put him as a, probably a preseason all-american favorite um if not first team and second team but you know what talk about a huge stride from um his 2016-17 season 5.5 points per game and four rebounds to last year 17 points per game and 10 rebounds so um With him, you know, and I guess kind of a formula for North Carolina has been they they get a lot of the five-star recruits, some of them, you know, leave early, but they always seem to have some, you know, high-contributing guy that's an upperclassman and I think Luke May is gonna fit that bill.
1: Like Joel Berry last year. Or he Theo the guy.
2: Theo Pinson as well. Mm-hmm. So I mean they
0: lost two guys like Theo Pinson and Joel Berry, like Matt just mentioned, two upperclassmen that contribute and now you're losing those two guys. You need some leadership on that Roy Williams team and, and like you know Matt mentioned, Luke May is a perfect guy and that jump, a guy that can you know is that big can shoot forty two percent from three absolutely deadly so he needs to take a couple more jumps i don't think he's consistent enough but if he's consistent enough he's a deadly player
1: he was always that guy like when he when all the news was coming out about who's declaring for the draft when his was like oh i'm declaring without an agent like first when i saw he's declaring i looked like like no disrespect but i'm like really like really you're declaring for the, like do you think you're going to get drafted cuz i don't think you'd get drafted <laughs> um and then he was always a guy i pegged of like We'll see. Oh, he didn't sign with an agent. He's coming back. He just wants to go through the process and come back.
0: I think he's smaller, less athletic, Kevin Love. But even in college, when you're, you know, you're a fourth year senior mm-hmm. with his abilities, he's still a good basketball player. I still think he's going to be uh, a guy to watch out for. And the final guy I want to throw out there, final two guys, um, mm-hmm. sticking with the ACC, it's uh, Syracuse, O'Shea, Brissett, and Tyus Battle. We looked at what this team did as an eleven seed. Mm-hmm. Them two coming back, it's going to be massive. Tyus Battle was uh, their leading scorer last year, 19.2 points per game, O'Shea, O'Shea set uh, a bigger forward down low. He's a guy that averaged 14.9 as a freshman. Massive that those two are coming back, Jim Bayhan have to be at least moving up in the ACC. I know they were a little bit lower, a little bit of a, a kind of a slight, like why were they in the NCAA tournament last <laughs> year? But with these two guys coming back, having another year, having the ter- experience in the tournament, this is a team that maybe six, Sweet 16, Elite 8 should be on the docket uh, and expectations for the Syracuse Orange.
1: They are always a team that is like, for Syracuse, Like, it just seems like they're always a team that is on the bubble and then either people are mad that they didn't get in or people are mad that they did mm-hmm. get in. And this year, it'll be interesting to see how the ACC kind of ends up, because let's be honest, we're all assuming Duke is healthy and they're going to run away yeah, with and it. And
0: I don't think they're on the bubble this year. I think they might be closer mm-hmm. to that 6-10 to 10 range for the for the Syracuse Orange.
1: Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you guys think down below. I want to thank Matt for joining us for another great Patreon segment. If you want to be like Matt, go check out our Patreon link down below. In the comment, or in the description, then let us know what you guys think down below in that comment section. Let's move on, though, Sean, into the real, like, kind of like how you said for the fast break, the real deal, the main reason for the podcast this week, continuing our previews through college football and we're finishing out the SEC, and you roll your eyes a little bit there. It's like, a long one. I like
0: college basketball better. It, 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 so that's, basketball. that's why I'm, I'm rolling my eyes. Sean's I like, i, oh, I, I like to go back to college football. I like having Matt on. <laughs> I like talking about college basketball. We're in the NBA draft season. That's all. I'm not, I'm not bashing on nope. SEC football. Sooner
1: rather than later, we'll be doing our college basketball previews. During the football season, that will be fun. But what we're doing is we're going through every single SEC team. Last week, Brandon and I went through the West. This week, we're going through the East. How we start is we start with the bottom. We move all the way to the top. And then at the end, we kind of end up the show. So we will look at first the Tennessee Volunteers as a team. 0-8 last year. or mm-hmm. 0-8 in conference. 4-8 overall. Butch Jones, adios. you out of here. You can't win a game; you don't deserve to be here. So that's where I want to ask you this. I know a month ago, Brandon and I talked about comments that new head coach Jeremy Pruitt had made after. It's not John Gruden. It's not John Gruden. Oh, okay. it, it was going to be John Gruden, but okay. it's not John. Gruden. I thought Lane Kiffin, Kiffin was coming Pruitt. back. It was going to be Lane Kiffin. Oh, also, okay, it was okay. also going to be Greg Schiano too. Dang! But Jeremy Pruitt is the guy coming mm-hmm. over from Alabama. So here's the question I want to ask about about Pruitt is. What do you expect from him year one? Because the question that Brandon and I talked about was, can he turn this team around because of the attitude it seems he's already trying to put in place? In Knoxville.
0: It's going to be tough to see if he can turn it around just because we don't know what he can do as a head coach. But mm-hmm. you look at his resume. I mean, he's been you know involved in college football since 1997. I mean, you look at what he's done recently, and, and really the thing that sticks out to me, you, know, you have powerhouses and then you have Hoover High School. And when you're the defensive back coach for Hoover High School in 2004— Nothing beats that. Uh, but no, I mean, consistently being in the SEC since 2014, Georgia, uh, he was D.C. and D.B. coach, and then Alabama um, recently as the D.C. and then inside linebacker coach. I mean, there's there's an expectation that this defense for the Vols, it was so bad last year mm-hmm. that couldn't stop the run, gave up over, I think, 33 points per game, can now at least make that shift to look like a competent um, SEC defense. Because the biggest thing with SEC football is, it, it's smart, it's fast, it's strong, and it, you have to have a great defense if you want to win. You know what I mean? You can give up 30 points and mm-hmm. still win, but technically, or, and typically, you're grinding out these games. You're trying to keep that the, the, the defense um, of the other team off the field. You want to waste time. You want to waste that clock and keep your offense fresh and try to tire out that defense. And I think that's the biggest thing for Jeremy Pruitt is just revamping this defense. If he's able to revamp this defense, get them to around like 26 points per game, bring down that rushing defense, uh, and, and, and and, you know, slow down the uh, rushing offense uh, for the opposing team, I think that's going to be the biggest thing for for Pruitt. I don't really have a win marker. (laughs) If they get to six six or five wins, I think that's going to be a success for Pruitt. But as long as the defense sees a step up, I think at least the Tennessee Vols would be in the right direction because he still needs to get his own recruiting class in.
1: I mean, for me, there's two big, like, looking at the offense, because that's usually what I look at first, is really with Pruitt, what you said defensively, being a defensive coach, Obviously it's you want that to be your bread and you Mm -hmm. want that to be really well because it's your bread and butter. But to me, there's two big questions for this team, and they're both on the offensive side. The first, I'll go with the smaller of the questions, is when you look at Pruitt and what he envisions for this offense, it's really a ground and pound where we're gonna run the ball, we're gonna smash you in the mouth with the run game, kind of like how Alabama does it, where I kind of in a couple years envision Pruitt building Tennessee in the image of Alabama, where it's just running backs coming in left and right, and it's like, oh, one left? It doesn't matter because we got these other three or four that are right here that you know their name. And for this year, it's a little bit different for Tennessee because John Kelly left. He was their leading rusher. He left the university because he just didn't want to be there anymore. So now the main guy up is... Ty Chandler. He's the guy. Only had 71 carries last year, just over 300 yards. He's your main guy right now. But on top of that, the bigger question, what are you going to do at quarterback? Because you've got two guys that have been there. You've got Will McBride. You've got Jared um, Garantano, who have been there. However, you've got an incoming freshman coming in, J.T. Shroud. You also have a graduate transfer from Stanford, who is Mm -hmm. a— Pretty respectable from Stanford in Keller Christ, who he was eleven and two as a starter in the pro style offense for Stanford. I want to ask you because for Ty Chandler, it's really can he produce with a bigger role? Because he's probably going to obviously going to get more carries. Can that equal more yards for him? The biggest question is what do they do at quarterback? Because I'm assuming it's Keller Christ, but you're not just going to hand him the job. He's going to have to earn it.
0: I think it's going to be Christ just because you look at – Him having experience, and I think that's the Mm -hmm. biggest thing for a new program, is having an experienced quarterback. If you're throwing in a freshman quarterback with questions behind, you know, at at the line, at the offense, what it's going to look like, having a guy who's just been in situations, been in big moments, has gone against, you know, teams like USC, gone against, uh, you know, Notre Dame. um, When he has the experience against those teams, against big programs, I think that's going to be the biggest thing um, for at least a new program. And he he wasn't great, let's be honest. Mm Keller Christ wasn't a great quarterback last year. Um, 54.2% completion percentage, 8-4 to to touchdown-to-interception ratio, but he is going to manage the game at least. I think that's going to be the biggest thing is he doesn't need to be spectacular, and usually, typically, SEC quarterbacks aren't. I mean, let's look at how many SEC quarterbacks have really exploded Mm -hmm. to be great NFL pros. The only one I could think of recently is Cam Newton, and Cam Newton's a Mm -hmm. a, a next-level athlete. I mean, we consistently look at guys— in the SEC, as game managers, the guys who can at least you know throw the ball ten yards and try to a. get AJ McCarron yeah, type players, AJ McCarron, uh, Danny Etling, th- those type mm-hmm. of uh, players. Um, I think that's going to be the biggest thing. You know, obviously Georgia had a, a different level, but even then, um, you look at Alabama; like they don't have a great quarterback that's going to turn into a great know. NFL pro.
1: Tua, Tua might be that
0: guy. Outside, outside, but it's one, it's I one game. I know we've only seen one half, um,
1: not even a game. But a I mean, you look at
0: Jalen Hurts. <laughs> I mean, Jalen Hurts usually typically mm-hmm. did enough. I think the only thing for Christ is that he needs to do enough, mm-hmm. um, and especially to start off the season. If he's not doing enough, you can take him out. But for the first couple of games, I think that's the biggest thing for for this Tennessee team is just get them used to the style that Pruitt wants them to play, get them used to having a guy that knows how to deal with high-pressure situations, I think that's the biggest thing is Christ will be able to step in and has experience, has a great experience against uh, under David Shaw, has great experience Mm -hmm. with Bryce Love before, Um, so I think the biggest thing is just having a guy that can step in there and be cool, calm, and collected, and I think that's going to be Christ. Well,
1: and that's why for me, because I'm looking at this going Christ is going to be the guy
0: because... I don't think he's going to be the guy for the whole season. Do he's you not don't that think good. so? No, I don't, I don't I, think he's that good. Um, I, the I think,
1: only reason I think he will is because I don't think any of the guys below him, Like I don't think that Trout's going to get much of a chance because freshman coming in, I feel like he'll just be pushed to the bottom. I think it's going to be, if I'm going with the depth chart, I'd go with um, Christ to start, Garantano will be 2 McBride will be 3 Shroud will be 4 if Shroud moves up he's then he'll move up to 3 but like I look at Jared Garantano and it's like this is a guy that yeah almost threw for a thousand yards last year yeah he completed about 62% of his passes But he was a guy that was, like, four touchdowns, two high. Like, there was nothing special Mm -hmm. about him. He didn't have an it factor. Whereas with Keller Christ, Mm -hmm. the thing that I think is more important is, yeah, he wasn't good last year. But look at his 2016 year. And you might be saying, Ricky, that was two years ago. And the guy got benched in 2017. And it's not that, like, okay, so 2017 he got benched. But 2016 is what I'm looking at. The reason why is that Stanford team was a lot more stacked than it was in 2017. So for Tennessee, it's more of if you want the quarterback to do it all, which I'm assuming Pruitt does not, Mm -hmm. then Christ might not be your guy. But if you can elevate a Ty Chandler, much like, because that 2016 year, I'm not saying Ty Chandler is going to be like this, but Mm -hmm. Keller Christ had Christian McCaffrey and Bryce Love in that backfield. So I'm not saying you're going to have that at Tennessee, but if you can elevate some talent to help out, he might have a I,
0: pretty good year. I think maybe maybe not three games or two games, but mm-hmm. I think Christ will most likely play against non-conference opponents. So mm-hmm. West Virginia, ETSU, um, UTEP. And then once we hit probably that Georgia game, after they lose to Florida and Georgia, because that's what I expect, um, I think that they're going to look for a change in quarterback. And so you're they- saying
1: at Auburn.
0: Yeah, at Auburn, that's where Christ is most likely going to get benched, because um, again, I don't think he's that great enough of a quarterback. I think mm-hmm. he's going to be a guy that just needs to get some stability right away into the program. I don't think he's going to be the guy that starts up, and I think you got to look at Will McBride. He's a guy that was a three-star recruit um, coming out of high school, and he's a guy that's a dual-threat quarterback. And I think he's a guy that's going to be something interesting, and if you're mm-hmm. able to throw him in different sets, and he's able to do enough with his arm, he's... Got some nice speed, was able to rush for a couple yards last year. I think that he can be a guy that, again, he might not be the greatest quarterback, but again, we've seen this before in the SEC work, like Jalen Hurts. If you're quick enough, if you're dynamic enough, if you're able to pick up first downs, that's going to be the biggest thing. Will McBride might be able to do that for this Tennessee team. I think he's going to offer more in that area than Christ offers overall. So I think I think maybe Will McBride is a guy that also makes a name for himself, because yes, you look at... Um, Obviously, what, uh, what what Tennessee was able to do last year and, and Garantano was able to do last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think McBride, being a freshman last year, now getting a, a second year in. As a sophomore, they might look at him, especially if he's able to do some damage in some different sets, especially early on in the games against UTEP and, and ETSU. Well,
1: and one of the last things I want to mention about the offense is no matter what quarterback is out there, the biggest thing coming back this season will be um, Jawan Jennings coming back because— In 2016, huge Hail Mary catch against Georgia. Everyone remembers that, especially if you're in Knoxville. But last year, you might not remember Jennings if you're not a Tennessee fan because he was injured. He suffered a season-ending wrist injury last year. Didn't see him for every other game after that injury. So to me, it's will Jennings come back and be the main guy, I'm assuming he'll come back, be the main guy, and can these other wide receivers like Callaway and Johnson fill in and be kind of a competent receiving core for whether it's Garantano, whether it's a Keller Christ, whether it's a Shrout, if the freshman ever starts any games this year.
0: Yeah, I think the biggest thing, though, again, is going back to this defense because that's mm-hmm. where this is going to shine. And and this is where this is where Pruitt's going to need to make his name mm-hmm. again. He, if, if the offense sucks, the offense sucks. He hasn't been able to bring any recruits in. He hasn't been able to talk anybody— uh, to anybody yet, he hasn't been able to bring in his own guys. I'm not too worried about mm-hmm. that, to be honest with you. Um, I- I'm looking at this defense though, because again, he's been given talent before. He's been given talent at Georgia. He's been given talent at Alabama. Now he's got to take the talent that he has at Tennessee mm-hmm. and put this into a defense that isn't, you know, full of pa- pa- you know holes like like, mm-hmm. like paper can be. Um, I-, I think <laughs> the biggest thing is it's going to be at least um, having a pretty decent secretary, having a playmaker that linebacking core, which he does have um, this year um, in Darian Kirkland. I think the thing for Pruitt is as long as he's able to at least put out a, a very decent defense, uh, a respectable defense, I think that's going to be the biggest win for the Vols this season because I think they can beat ETSU. Mm-hmm. I think they can beat UTEP. Um, so there's two wins right there. Now you need to just find four more mm-hmm. in that schedule to end up at that six win mark, which I think would be a, a healthy start for Jeremy Pruitt because I don't think this is going to be a 9 team team like you. Mm-hmm. Butch Jones was able to get a couple of years ago. I don't think this is going to be national championship winners like uh, you know uh, they were able to get out of Peyton Manning. But I think this could be a, a team that at least gets you know a fairly decent amount of wins. And Pruitt, if he's able to put out a decent defense, can get those six wins. Well,
1: it'll be interesting. I'll throw in one more, and it's kind of masked because it's later in the year. I think they can beat Charlotte too. So that's three wins. Mm-hmm. You got Charlotte, yeah. Eastern Tennessee, and UTEP. The only question for me is: Do they win an SEC game this year? Do they beat? West Virginia on a neutral site. And with the defense, the thing I'm looking at, the thing I feel like is going to be the best this year for them is their front defensive line. Because although Pruitt moving over to a 3-4, it's going to be interesting because, like, oh, if they were in their 4-3, you would have um, Tuttle and Johnson in the middle, and then you would have Phillips and Kongbo on the outside, which I believe, Tennessee fans, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe Kongbo is moving to the outside. Like, he was originally an interior defensive lineman. Now he's moving to the outside. The thing that I think will be interesting there is you have four guys, you move to three guys, and really that middle position of, will it be better, rather than having all four of them out there at once, rotating that middle to where the nose tackle in this is always the freshest guy. And they're just kind of... Rotating Johnson and Tuttle out there, so mm-hmm. that to me is going to be the cruciest thing because that are the most crucial thing. Cruciest. Because the thing that you'll have to do, what are you going up against with this division? You've got quarterbacks, quarterbacks, and quarterbacks. From you've got um, Felipe Franks will probably be the guy in Florida. Stidham, Tua, you've got quarterbacks in this division, especially mm-hmm. in that four game stretch. How do you get them? Fluster them. Get after that quarterback.
0: Well, and I think one thing, too, is I think you're right about the At least the rotating in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the, the fresh in, in, the, in the middle of the three, four, because we saw that a lot at, at Alabama. I think Pro's going to bring that over. Um, but it's really how, how talented are these guys enough to do that? How quickly are they going to pick this up? Um, so maybe so I think that's the best part about the schedule for them is that they're starting off against West Virginia, where if they lose it, no one's really going to be too shocked because mm-hmm. West Virginia consistently puts out a decent program. Um, but I think the, the one thing is then you have two easy games against ETSU and UTEP, um, and then you have a, you know pretty much a, a schedule from hell with Florida, Georgia, Auburn, Alabama right there. Then you get South Carolina, a little bit more of a break, but that's still on the road. But then those last four games is where you're really going to need to shine because that's late in the season. That's mm-hmm. when these guys have been in practice been in the film room. They've gone through the tough part of the season, and now you get Charlotte, now you get Kentucky, now you get Missouri, and now you get Vanderbilt. These teams are okay, but nothing great. And I think that's yeah. the biggest thing for um, this team uh, in in, uh, in 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 Tennessee is you're not going up against great quarterbacks outside of Drew Locke in that Missouri game. Mm-hmm. You have the chance to possibly take all four of those games if you're able to take. You know, three uh, the three three of the four non-conference games in you know, ETSU, UTEP, Charlotte. You get a seven seven win season. You're going to a bowl. And mm-hmm. This is a very successful season for for Jeremy Pruitt.
1: Well, and the thing that the last thing we'll kind of do to close this up before we go into the next team is right at the end of I'm looking at the Athlon Sports preview for Tennessee, and they're saying that, and here's the quote: Pruitt hopes that recipe is good enough to produce at least six wins in year one. I look at that, and I know you had four last year, but I look at that goose egg in the conference, and at first sight I go, all right, maybe you're being a little bit too ambitious with six wins. But the more I think about it, we mentioned it. Eastern Tennessee, UTEP, Charlotte, those should be three wins. And the thing that'll be interesting is, yeah, you almost beat Florida last year. It was a six-point game. Mm -hmm. However, that was a different Florida team.
0: That was Dan, at Florida, though.
1: And it was at Florida, but Dan Mullen being the head coach, I expect yeah, yeah. Florida to have a different attitude around him. Also, also... You could say the
0: same thing for Jeremy Pruitt. And well, and that's in Vons, what I'm too. saying.
1: That's the end of the season. Yeah. More so, Mizzou, who's going to be at home, and Vanderbilt, because those were two games you got blown out. 50-17, to 42-24. But let's be honest, Butch Jones wasn't boosting these guys the gone, confidence. I think it was gone at that
0: point too. exactly so I mean this they, they team, had no coach they this didn't
1: care. this team exactly what you said did not care I expect that to change this year so those two games might be different the third thing that I think needs to stay the same that it was last year you came out game one last year played a Georgia Tech team a power five team on a neutral site punched him in the throat, won 42-41 in double overtime. You need to get a win like that week one. You Mm. need to set—I'm not saying they will. I'm saying you need to set the statement week one and get a surprise on West Virginia if you want to set yourself up for a six-win season. Because then, the only way you're getting to six wins this year, in my mind, is if you go 4-0 in non-conference, beat Mizzou, beat Vandy.
0: I think they can beat Kentucky. I think they you can think beat so? Kentucky. I think they can beat Mizzou. I think they could beat Vandy. They can go three and four. Mm-hmm. They can get six wins, um, and maybe even South Carolina turns up to be an upset. I mean, I know that is in Columbia, mm-hmm. but I still think that could possibly be a win because, especially if you're coming off those two massive games, mm-hmm. um, especially the Alabama game, and you finally get to go up against South Carolina, it's kind of like taking the donut. Dunk off a ba- uh, baseball bat. Yeah. it's going to be a little bit lighter. It's going to be a little bit mm-hmm. easier. Um, so if you're able to go in there with some confidence, especially if that Alabama game's like close, mm-hmm. you know, if you're if you lose by ten, I think that could possibly be a, a moral victory for this Tennessee team. And you go into South Carolina, you possibly get a win. I see possibly eight wins for this Tennessee team. I'm going to mm-hmm. pick five because I don't believe in them too much. I mm-hmm. think that they're going to struggle out of the gates. Um, I think the tough games, especially to start off the SEC conference, um, is going to be is going to be bad. But I think the biggest thing is not really the wins again for Jeremy Pruitt. It's how this defense looks under Pruitt.
1: And the one thing that I do wonder, I have to, I, I need to fact check myself before I go ahead and say it. I wonder if this could be a situation like we saw in Georgia, where year one, pretty good season. We went like maybe three, four wins in conference, got about six to eight wins, maybe more on the sixth side for Tennessee. And then The next year rolls around with my recruits, boom, we just shock everyone. I'm not saying national championship shock because I don't think many people expected that from Georgia last year. But I wouldn't be surprised if next year Georgia or not Georgia, Tennessee is yet again in the discussion of wow, these are this is a team to watch to maybe be competitive I in their side of the conference. I
2: think it
0: okay, will take like 2 years before they're okay. like, you know, near the top top mm-hmm. end of the SEC East because again, we're looking at, you know, a, a loaded SEC yep. East. Um again, again, these teams are going to get better like Georgia, mm-hmm. Florida's going to get better under Dan Mullen. Um so I think these are teams that you got to watch. Out for I think Tennessee, especially once Pruitt gets his um, recruiting classes in, I think you know probably two years. That's when we're going to look when these guys are sophomores and these guys are fully invested into the Pruitt system. But I, I think you know Tennessee Vols fans should be excited. I know Pruitt wasn't a sexy mm-hmm. hire like Lane Kiffin if he came back or like a John Gruden, well, but I think Jerry Gruden
1: was hired yeah. and they pushed but, him out.
0: But I, th- I think especially with um, with uh, Jeremy Pruitt now, I think this is a guy that again has a lot of a lot on his resume and even though he hasn't had that fully uh, mm-hmm. you know that head coach experience being a part of the, that Alabama system and being the DC and being a part of that Georgia system and being the DC is, is absolutely massive and it's pretty much like a head coaching job in itself
1: and I know the true reason why Val fans didn't want Shiano there but I guess the one of the other reasons was they just didn't want to see any Shiano men in Knoxville for Greg Shiano to turn those balls into. But if you're a Tennessee fan, let us know what you guys think down below in the comment section. What should we expect from your team on offense, defense? What do you think schedule win-losses? What are you expecting for this Tennessee team in year one of Jeremy Pruitt? Let us know what you think down below in the comment section. Let's move on, though, Sean, into the next team, looking at the Vanderbilt Commodores. And one thing that I know for Vanderbilt fans is they're probably wishing that their football team was as good as their baseball team. Because baseball team, really good. Football team hasn't been as good last year. Only There's winning smart
0: folk at Vanderbilt,
1: Only too. winning one one conference game last year. And you know, uh, former great Chicago Bear went to Vanderbilt. Uh, Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler went to Vanderbilt. But oh. what we're looking at, and the reason why I bring up Jay Cutler is, first thing I want to look at is the quarterback mm-hmm. for the Commodores. This is a guy coming in, senior Kyle Shermer last year, 2800 yards just over that a completion percentage of 58% not the best not the worst however he was a guy 26 touchdowns 10 INTs is he going to be enough to help this team win some more games this year cuz yeah they won 5 games but that's because they went 4 and 0 in their non-conference game.
0: I think he can be, you know, something that's going to be a bright light for for Vanderbilt. And the one thing, too, is, yes, this Vanderbilt team had a rough end of the season. 1-8 mm-hmm. in the SEC, like you mentioned. But I think... The thing with Shermer is you got to look at this defense, and this defense kept him it kept him on the field pretty much. They kept mm-hmm. pushing this team out because they couldn't stop anybody. So now Shermer, he's going to have less pressure on him. Hopefully, if Kyle Tarver, the new uh, DC, is going to be able to do his job correctly, and if they're able to at least start stopping some guys, I think Kyle Shermer, especially you know having another year under his belt, can maybe get that comp- completion percentage up to sixty percent, throw for three thousand yards, and keep that touchdown percentage around mm-hmm. you know twenty six to ten. I think this. Team again, maybe they won't be great. Maybe they won't be winning the SEC. Maybe they won't have like a, a meteoric rise like uh, Georgia did last year, um, where no one really expected them to win the national championship. Championship outside of Georgia fans, but I think the big thing with Vanderbilt is they're going to have a guy who is conditioned, a guy who's been playing um, in the uh, N. Sorry, in the NCAA, um, about twenty-five games in his career now mm-hmm. um, as a starter. He's a guy that I look at, and I think that he is a bright light for Vandy, and I think he could be something special and and possibly, you know, being the son of Pat, maybe make himself a, a, a pro um, prospect if he has a really good season. And I think having him back is something great because you're going to be changing a lot on this defense. Mm-hmm. Having stability on that offense is going to be huge for Vandy.
1: Well, and he's the bright light, and the reason why I bring up Jay Cutler is last year the Commodores ranked Fourth in the league with 243.6 passing yards per game, their highest total since Jay Cutler's senior year in 2005. And he also ended their four year streak of where the team threw more ints than touchdowns. So that's a good one, ended two stroll that streak, and then had the highest.
0: You guys are throwing more interceptions than touchdowns.
1: Also, the thing that's going to help him I think you mentioned it a little bit, but they return all five starters on the offensive line. Mm -hmm. The to me, the big question offensively, and yes, defense is the question because the more you the quicker you let the other team score, you're putting your offense right out there without getting any rest. You gotta keep that other offense out on the field. It's kind of like a little mix and match game of like we don't want the defense out there too long, but we don't want them to score like that. And then our offense is back out there playing with a deficit. To me, the most crucial guy on offense is going to be, I didn't think I would be talking about a former fighting Illini on this podcast, but I am in Kashawn Vaughn, where he was a guy where I was excited to see him 2015 because he was a guy that added some good attempts, good minutes for us in Champaign. Lovey Smith's staff comes in, he loses favor with Lovey staff, says, screw it, I want out of Illinois. It might have been Lovey staff, actually it might have been, Bill Cubitt's staff, if I think about it. One of those two staffs he falls out of favor with, wants out. Coming back home to Nashville, he to me is, can he kind of take over this run game for Vanderbilt? Because last year it's like, yeah, you're going to return Ralph Webb, who is the all-time leading rusher for Vanderbilt the last three years. However, this is a team that ranked last in the SEC with 107 rushing yards Per game
0: That's because they were on the field. So because exactly. they had to throw the damn ball because they couldn't stop anyone on defense. I mean, a little bit tomato, tomato, but that's
1: not good when it's like, yeah, we're returning our leading rusher. But we're only averaging this many rushing. I mean, Vanderbilt,
0: a game. even though it's leading rusher, it's like mm-hmm. being like the you know the highest scorer at you know like a a, a grammar at school Hoover, with five kids, at Hoover High School. No, it's it's like it's like you know you're, being the leading rusher mm-hmm. at, at Vanderbilt isn't that impressive because yeah. they, they don't they, they're not that good of a football program. Mm-hmm. So I mean it's it's not that impressive. It's like being the valedictorian again at like you know a. Yeah. a, a school with five five kids mm-hmm. um i think the biggest thing again for this offense is just making sure that you're able to be balanced and, mm-hmm. and like you mentioned having the least amount of, of rushing yards it, it's it was something that obviously was you know obviously uh, disconcerting um but with this vandy offense you're gonna be able to take pressure off with Shermer, and then just like you mentioned if coming in sean vaughn is able to at least get through the hashes get maybe 100 yards Per game, have maybe a thousand yard rushing season, and Shermer throws for a thousand yards. This could be a Vanderbilt team that maybe mm-hmm. gets you know three, four wins, which is a significant improvement over that one. And you got to look at what was working last year to start this season. Yes, they were playing at least you know worse opponents in, in, in the start of that season, but where the they, defense where was where stout. Four, four, four and zero. Oh. Yeah, but I mean you're also going up against you know yeah. bad opponents, is what I was trying to say. Um, so I think if it, the big thing though, at least offensively, when you look at what they were able to do last year, they were able to be balanced in those wins. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing for them is just staying balanced and being able to at least take pressure off Shermer, take pressure off that defense and be able to at least change the pace on, mm-hmm. on teams.
1: For me, I look at it and I'm looking at their schedule now and really with the defense, because like you said, yeah, you probably didn't play the best opponents in those three games, but it's very like fans are going to look at maybe not fans, but maybe just the national fan of football is going to look at, Wow, what was going on with your team that in the first three games you had the nation's best total defense in 198.3 yards per game and the nation's best scoring defense where you were only giving up 4.3 points per game and you were 3-0. and Now, I know what you said. You're not playing the best opponents. Last year, if I pull up their Alabama
0: schedule, AM, Middle middle Tennessee State, and they did play Kansas but State. Kansas
1: State, not a not a slouch, but no. it's not maybe now like this schedule. I think they're out of conference. You might disagree. I don't know. But mid Tennessee State, Nevada, those should be winnable games. To me, the question is going in like non conference wise, going into South Bend to play the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Is that a step up from Kansas State? Is it a step down from Kansas State? I really don't know because of... Maybe I'm only saying that because of everything that's been said about Brian Kelly and this coaching staff and kind of some of the national... I don't want to say bias, but national stories around Notre Dame. I want to say it's a step up in competition. It's a massive then step Kansas up, Kansas
0: State. It's a massive step up. I, I want to give respect to Kansas State because I mean, mm-hmm. you look at their, you look at Bill Snyder. I mean, that guy's been there literally since like the, the prehistoric mm-hmm. ages. Um, but Notre Dame's a step up. I mean, you're going from Kansas State, who is you know middle of the pack of the Big Twelve, to Notre Dame, who is a nationally recognized brand. And these are guys that are bringing in mm-hmm. five, four star recruits. You're still going to have Brandon Wimbush there, but there he might not even be the starter, but he's still going to be. Able to bring, uh, you know, a change of pace. You're losing uh, uh, your, your star back, and uh, I'm blanking on his name now because we're not, we haven't been talking about him. Uh, start back last year uh, for Notre Dame, but it, it's a massive step up because Brian Kelly. Yes, he's made mistakes. Mm-hmm. you are also under the microscope of being a national yeah. team. He had a program last year that was phenomenal. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. this team exceeded expectations. They, you know, stumbled near the end, but I still look at Notre Dame as a team that's going to give Vanderbilt trouble, and it's going to be massive trouble, I think, in my mind of of going and, and taking on uh, Notre Dame.
1: Well, and for me, moving past that is really the big question of where I feel like this team can go three and one, kind of like what we said with Tennessee, can go three and one. In the non-conference, I can see them beating Mm mid-10. I could see them beating Nevada. I can see them beating Tennessee State. Now, Florida-Georgia, sorry, losses. South Carolina, I'd put a question mark by. We're going to get into them later, but they're a team where I don't know if they're going to be second in the SEC yet again this year like they were last year. Every game from October 20th to the end of the year— I could see I could see Vanderbilt winning that game. Will they win them all? No, probably not. But every single game from from Kentucky all the way down to Tennessee, I think they've got a puncher's chance in those games, especially if the defense can do enough to help the offense, which kind of seems like it's going to be the more stacked side of the ball yet again this year when we get to SEC play.
0: Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know about puncher's chance, but I don't think it'll be as bad as last year. I don't think it's going to be 58 to nothing mm-hmm. against Alabama or, or anything like that. But again, like, like you said, I think, you know, Middle Tennessee, Vanderbilt, uh, Nevada, Vanderbilt, those two will be wins for the Commodores. I think they might get rolled by Notre Dame, especially Notre Dame having three straight home games to start the year, mm-hmm. Ian Book being the starter. Um, you know, I, I still believe highly in Notre Dame. I think they're going to get absolutely rolled. Um, but, you know, going up against South Carolina, like you mentioned, Tennessee State, um, uh, I think those are, are puncher chances. Kentucky as well, that being a, a rivalry game, that's going to be a puncher's chance. But I, I think when we look at you know the games against Florida, the games against Georgia, um, I think those two are going to be absolute blowouts. But like you mentioned, I think maybe a puncher's chance against Vanderbilt, puncher's chance against Mississippi, and puncher's mm-hmm. chance against Tennessee, um, maybe even more of a puncher's chance than against Tennessee, especially what they did um, to them last year. But I think overall, this Vanderbilt team is going to be in games. I don't think it's going to be blowouts like it was last year. Mm-hmm. But I still look at the vols maybe getting four SEC wins, three SEC wins.
1: Well, and the three that I look at within those last five games Arkansas, Old Miss, Tennessee, because they all have one thing in common. Old Miss fans are going to tell me that they don't fall into this category, but technically you do because last year the coach was an interim coach. They all have brand new head coaches. Mm-hmm. And I know, like I said, Old Miss fans are going to say, no, we have the same coach that we had last year. He was an in interim last year. This is his this first, first year as the head coach. So, yeah. I mean, and technically I think last year was a full season. It was the whole um, Hugh Freeze, Hugh Freeze um, debacle that was going on. They didn't know if they were going to hire him full term. But that to me is with oldness Miss being the question mark, you've got Jeremy Pruitt. We just talked about him trying to implement his system at Tennessee. Will he be able to do that? You're hoping by the last game of the season that you're able to. Arkansas, that to me is the more interesting one, because like Brandon and I talked last week, they have a head coach coming in where this is his first Power 5 job. And what a conference to go into when this is your first Power 5 job. It's like saying, hey, I don't really know how to swim much. Here's the deep end. And Mm -hmm. you just push them right into that. So to me, if there's anything, those three games are the ones that I would target if I'm a fan of... The Commodore saying, okay, we if we can get one or two of these, then we should be in good shape to where I feel like, okay, this is a season to build on. Because a lot of these teams at the bottom, it's not about – you're not just going to be like, boom, all the way to the top. Yep. You're going to have to build on it before you get back to – or get to – a team that's contending in the SEC. Well, I
0: think the hire of, uh, of Kyle Tarver from, from uh, Stanford, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, massive hire. I think, that, again, that's the building block to get mm-hmm. you there. It's going to be bad losing Shermer next year, but if you're able again to just build off of that – um, find a quarterback that can step in. I, I think that this could be a Vanderbilt team that maybe has a bright future. Um, and maybe is able to get some 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 national recognition down the line. But, you know, again, looking at this Vanderbilt team, it's just going to be more of the same uh, mm-hmm. from Vanderbilt. Maybe they get four wins in the SEC, but this isn't going to be a powerhouse in the SEC. Uh, unfortunately for the Commodores.
1: Last thing I ask you: Let's say this team goes five wins or less mm-hmm. overall. Do you think about firing Coach Mason? And this is this is a question. That I know Brandon and I have asked before the 27 season, whenever we talk hot seats, his name is usually one that comes up because it's overall he's had, and this is overall records, three and nine, four and eight, six and seven, five and seven, with last year being the one and seven, his worst conference record since not winning a game his first year in 24. So, last thing I'll kind of ask you is if they go five wins or less, is there a chance that Vanderbilt decides? let's get someone new in here, you've had five seasons, I think it's been enough.
0: I'm going to up you and not say um, if if just five wins is that benchmark. Mm -hmm. If they end up, let's see, if they lose... The first four tough games. So if they if they start the season three and four, mm-hmm. you think um, he's so mid-season? so be, beating Middle Tennessee, beating Nevada, mm-hmm. beating Tennessee State. If if they lose at Florida, and I think if they lose at Kentucky, I think he's gone. I think mm-hmm. he's gone by October twentieth. So October twenty seventh. Even
1: if they win, so let's say by that point they'd be what three and four. Mm-hmm. Even if I think three if and they four? start,
0: I think if they start off though on mm-hmm. uh, you know winless against the SEC, I think that's a fireable offense. I think especially if you if you start 0-4 or 0-5, mm-hmm. losing against South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, I think there's a possibility Derek Mason gets fired.
1: Yeah, and that's one that, like I said, hopefully as a Vanderbilt fan you're not hoping for that because you're like, great, now we're starting the, a true rebuild with a new head coach. But that is just one I had to throw out there because usually the last few times we've talked about hot seats here on the podcast— Derek Mason's name usually kind of creeps its way in there one way or another. I'm going to turn it on to you guys, though. What do you guys think about Vanderbilt coming into the season? How good is this offense going to be? Are we going to see improvements from the defense? What are you looking at for both offensive and defense for this team? And then also, how do you see this season playing out for them. How many wins? How many losses? What's going to be the games you're looking for? What's going to be the games you're going to cover your eyes because you're just not going to watch Vanderbilt play that game? Let us know what you guys think down below in that comment section. Let's move on, though, into the next team. And these are previews, Sean, where we just keep going. They just keep going. Like, Mm -hmm. this is is where we get the podcasting chops where – we really test out our stamina yeah. for recording because you really got to have that long stamina to go, especially when we add a Matt Patreon segment mm-hmm. at the beginning of them going eight segments deep on the podcast Thanks today. for missing,
0: Brandon. Appreciate it. Well, it's not
1: just that. Both yep. you and I had a three-hour podcast mm-hmm. on Saturday that we recorded, and now we got one of these. The next team we're diving into is the Florida Gators. This is a team last year, didn't do so, didn't do so hot. And the reason why I say it like that is... Like I said to you while we were fixing the camera and stuff, I go, this team was surprisingly bad this year. Mm-hmm. Didn't expect them to be like that. Where you look at two years ago, it was your top three teams. It's like, oh, who's going to win the SEC as well? It could be Florida, could be Tennessee, could be Georgia. Not the case last year. It's obviously, Georgia ran away with it. But Florida, the big thing they got going for them this year is they get their guy. They get the new hire coming out of Mississippi State, an SEC guy. They get Dan Mullen, who's going to be Florida's— he was Florida's offensive coordinator during the two national championships they won under Urban Meyer, and this is what—a little quote from Dan Mullen, I believe. He says, I know how important offense is here. I know everybody likes to score some points. I love scoring points. So for me, I'm going to ask you, what does Dan Mullen's hire mean for Florida— and will that translate into more points this year for the Gators?
0: Well, I think Gator fans have to hope it will. But I think the biggest thing that Dan Mullen being hired means for the Gators is just another regime change, another guy you have to look mm-hmm. at and just wait and see because he isn't an Urban Meyer, he isn't a guy that's going to step in like a, a good old the good old ball coach and Steve Spurrier. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to wait. Is he, has he had success before? Yes, he's had ten win seasons, he's had a nine win season, he's gone to a uh, bowl with his team um, ever since 2010. Mm-hmm. But we look at all these teams, and outside that ten win season in twenty fourteen, there have been like the Gator Bowl, the Music City Bowl, the Belk Bowl, the St. Peter's Bowl, the TaxSlayer Bowl. He's not going to big name bowls now that he's at a bigger name program in Florida. That can change because you're going to get better recruits. You're going to be in the state of Florida, you're which consistently, to to better bowls. yeah, which consistently creates better players um, and better recruits. So I think it's the biggest thing is that you're going to have another regime change, and, and you're going to be bringing in a guy who's had sex, success before. In the SEC. Does it mean it's going to translate into a better offense? Does it mean it's going to mm-hmm. translate into a uh, a better team on the field year one? It might not, just because, again, you have the stench of McIlwain still on that program. You still have the stench of Muschamp on that program. You need to rebuild, retool, strip it down, and, and build up. Are there still talented players in this team? Mm-hmm. 100%. That defense looks absolutely great, but Offensively, I don't know what they're going to be doing in the first question is that quarterback.
1: The biggest, and that was where I was going to go. The biggest problem with this team is that they haven't had a quarterback throw for more than 16 touchdowns since 2009. Since they had a Mr. Tim Tebow as their starting quarterback, they have not had a quarterback throw for more than 16 touchdowns. That's not good. That is Mm -hmm. not good. And when you've got a guy like Felipe Franks, who many are thinking is going to be the guy to be the starter for Dan Mullen. It could also be Kyle Trask. I'll get to him in a second. But with Franks, the bad with him, eight interceptions last year. How many touchdowns did he have? Only nine. So it wasn't that much better. Mm -hmm. Just over one to one touchdown to INT ratio. He was also sacked. 29 times and I know some people will come in I'll give a little credit to those sacks for the offensive line because they're not all in the quarterback some of those are on the offensive line but the question is what do you go with do you go with the guy in Felipe Franks who at least has experience as the starter I know last year it was all should it be him should it be Malik Zaire after Luke Del Rio went down with his injury I think it was a shoulder injury now it becomes, do you go with Felipe Franks, who has that experience, or do you go with the redshirt f- uh, red sophomore, I almost said froshmore, sophomore in Kyle Trask, who some are saying is the better pure passer, and also the thing that kind of plays into this is there was supposed to be another guy in this, mm-hmm. a Matt Corral, but he said, adios, I ain't coming here, I'm going to go somewhere else, and he transferred, I think it was, to Old Miss is where he's at now. So they right now, they believe they're with Franks or they're with Trask. With me, I don't know why if you're not Dan Mullen. It depends on how they play, like in spring ball and over the summer. But if Trask shows you something, you're a new coach coming in, I would say I might take the risk and fly with the redshirt sophomore over Felipe Frank.
0: I'm on the complete opposite side, and it's the same reason I gave during the Tennessee uh, mm-hmm. pre- a preview, is that I want a guy in a new program, yes Dan Mullen's been in Florida before, but at a new program, at least to start the season, I want a guy with experience in there. I don't want a guy that's going to be, mm-hmm. you know, rushing decision-making, hasn't been playing in a college game before in his career, and you're looking, you know, the offense is looking at him as, alright, call the shots, be a leader. Franks, he might not be a great leader, I don't know um, because I don't know the kid personally but Mm -hmm. if he has the experience I think that's the biggest thing that's going to play into Frank's um, battle for the quarterback is that he has experience at Florida, he has experience with these guys before um, and and he's been in the locker room and and consistently been on the field with them where yes you know, again the the redshirt sophomore um, has been in the program but he hasn't been on the field with them so I think the biggest thing with Frank's is that Mm -hmm. he has the experience and I think Dan Mullen might look at that to at least rely on because hey you've been here before um, you've played in uh, in in Florida before um, you've been in what what's there? the swamp. Uh, you played in the Swamp before, you know what it's like. them. Come in, come in here and, and, and at least lead our team in the first couple of games. Mm-hmm. Again, maybe talent will win out, and if he's that much talented than Franks, then I think he's going to end up winning out because Dan Mullen is a very strong um, head coach with a great background. I think that the guys, his guys are at least going to be able to respect that and stick with him and mm-hmm. believe in him, and I don't think you really need the experience too much. But if it comes down to all right, these guys are, you know, the same player or at least, you know, very similar, it's not too much of an edge. I think Frank's experience might give him that edge um, and make him a starting quarterback, at least to start for the Florida Gators.
1: It's gonna be a tough decision. I'm just throwing out there that it depends on all what we see. Obviously, if Trask comes out and it's like, oh, this guy shouldn't be starting, of course, go at Frank's. The thing that I wonder though But that's and- the thing
0: that's the thing I I don't wanna mm-hmm. get rid of like the guy that's been there for me, Frank's mm-hmm. he's been there. I don't wanna pull the carpet out, out right under, from underneath him and throw him in. It's the same shit that happened with mm-hmm. the, the the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and Malik Zaire mm-hmm. and Deshaun Kaiser. And then Kaiser was there yanked Kaiser and then they put in Z- no it wasn't it wasn't Zaire was upset that he didn't okay. play enough but Kaiser was more experienced. Mm-hmm. He was the better quarterback but Brian Kelly didn't like Kaiser's attitude mm-hmm. so he yanked Kaiser was out that and season, threw in Zaire.
1: That was the season where Kaiser was, had that game winning pass against Virginia right? No it was
0: Texas. Okay. Um, it was absolute bullshit. It was so stupid. Mm-hmm. It was so stupid. It was, it was the year before. Um, it was. It was not last year, but the year before. Yeah. Um, and Kaiser was having a great game mm-hmm. against Texas, and they kept putting in Zaire. They kept putting in Zaire. They kept putting in Zaire, and the team was just looking terrible. It, the whole point that I'm trying to get, though, is Kaiser was there. Mm-hmm. Kaiser was performing, and you don't want to at least hurt Frank's confidence. Con- confidence. You don't want to uh even break his trust that his teammates might mm-hmm. have in him and throw in a sophomore just for Franks to come back in. I think stick with the guy that has the experience and, and it's a lot of pressure to throw in a richer sophomore.
1: Here's ultimately how I feel like their quarterback situation will play out is I feel like Franks will be the starter. He'll be the one that is pegged that. So he'll be the sophomore starter this year. Then next year, they'll hopefully knock on wood, no, uh, answered moms or dads kind of uh, keep the letter of intent from getting faxed over to Florida. They're banking on the guy who committed in, in April, who was, this was after Mullen got hired. He got hired in November. Jalen Jones committed to Florida. He's a quarterback, dual threat quarterback out of the Baltimore area. I think what'll happen is if knock on wood, he comes in. The plan is this is a Mullen guy Frank starts this year. Frank's even starts next year in his junior year. And then hopefully after junior year, either after junior year, if Frank says, you know what, I'm going to go to the NFL draft for some reason, or if he does play his senior year, you feel it out that way. If Frank's leaves Mm -hmm. after his junior year, all right, Jalen Jones is now the guy in his sophomore year to take over. Or if Frank's plays in his senior year, all right, we're just going to have Jalen Jones come on up as a starting junior and kind of starting that trend of like, all right, we're going to have juniors and seniors starting in this quarterback role or redshirt sophomores. If they're like, a Jameis Winston level like talent.
0: Well, and one thing too, going back to Mullen's quote about offense mm-hmm. and, and, and finding the quarterback down the road, I, the future I think is is, is bright for, mm-hmm. for Florida. I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, departing that, but you look at what Mullen has done and Mullen did at, at Mississippi State. 2009 hit the 73rd uh, best offense in the NCAA. Then in 2010, 51st best offense in the NCAA. 73rd best offense in the NCAA. Next year, 60th best offense in the NCAA. 71st best offense in the NCAA. It was until that 2014 season, where he had the 15th best offense that scored over 30 points per game, and then consistently from 2014 to his last year at Mississippi State, he's been able to get 30 points per game throughout the season. So I think one thing is, yes, you can come in and be confident because I think he should be because he's been there before at Florida and mm-hmm. he's had a pretty decent resume at Mississippi State. But saying I know how important offense is here, I like to score some points. If you're going out there and just throwing up another, you know, 26 points per game. I think this might look bad on Mullen. I just feel like Florida fans might temper their uh, their, their expectations for this offense because mm-hmm. there isn't a solid guy that we believe in um, at, at quarterback, and it sounds like everybody else who's covering the Florida Gators isn't really sold on a quarterback. Now that might change from our fans, and I know the Florida Gator fans will let us know, but I think you got to temper your expectations if you are the Florida Gator fans because Dan Mullen will be able to put out a great, culture, a great system. He knows this Florida program before, but it's going to take a while for him to get that implemented. Does that mean this team could be a, a top 25 team this year? Possibly. They might end up in mm-hmm. the top 25, but I don't think this team is going to be n- near the top of the, the SEC it's, it's SEC East. Maybe they're you know third in the SEC East, maybe even second, but I, I don't think this is a team that's going to be able to put up a ton of points this year with the quarterback situation and kind of the questions they do have on offense.
1: Well, and the one thing I am looking at right now is the thing that's going to help you score points, especially when you're, we're talking about the quarterback situation, is your wide receivers. And the big name that everyone probably knows about that's no longer there, Antonio Callaway. He's not mm-hmm. going to be with the Florida Gators. Right now you look at it, they've got guys like Tyree Cleveland and guys like Cardarius Toney injury prone. What are we going to get out of them? To me, the big two names that they're – they are Florida banking on this season. And with the recent rule that the sec passed during their um, media days where the league had approved a rule change that grants eligibility for student athletes who graduate or transfer within the conference, according to multiple reports. This means that guys like um, from old miss, you have van Jefferson and then from Ohio state, you got Trayvon Grimes, these are two guys that, with this rule change, might be able to play immediately, not have to sit out this season. So for me, once you figure out that quarterback question, let's say for the sake of argument the answer is Franks, then it becomes what are we doing at wide receiver and how are we going to use those wide receivers to make our quarterback better and make it to where Franks maybe has 16 mm-hmm. touchdowns
0: this year. I, I mean, it may, but 16 touchdowns, like, who fucking who cares Like this, I'm just this saying like, I'm
1: just saying Like it's bad when Tim Tebow Who Yeah I know NFL I college I don't different. think the
0: guy That is currently on mm-hmm. I don't think there's a guy On the roster That is the next Tim Tebow I don't think there's a guy well, That's the next Chris uh, even I don't think the next guy is the next Cam mm-hmm. Newton uh, who's on the Florida program. I, I think it's going to be a while until Dan Mullen's able to get this program underneath. And yes, mm-hmm. whether those tra- if the transfers come over, yes, yeah, it's going to help. Um, good old, good old Franks. But I don't, I don't know if it's going to be the thing that turns them in from a, a guy who's a, a first year starter to a guy that's going to lead them to a, a successful, um, you know, ten win season. I, I think mm-hmm. the biggest thing is just finding a balance and being able, to sure, this culture gets set up in Florida and being sure you can get some big wins. Um, you don't have to beat you know the the best of the best, but if you're able to at least be competitive, especially in that Florida-Georgia game, I think that's going to be a good sign for Dan Mullen's program. And then you also look at what uh, they're bringing in on the defensive side and, and Tom Gratham. There's a very deep amount of talent on this this Florida defense. They underperformed last year, and Florida's typically known for their defense. I know, you know, obviously the offense has been a big thing, um, mm-hmm. especially when they're winning national championships, but their defense consistently has been good. They've been consistently turning out NFL prospects, and I think that's a big thing is bringing in a guy that's been in the SEC, um, not only with Dan Mullen before at Mississippi State, but also being at Georgia before. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what Grantham can do with this well, I was defense because there's a lot him. of talent on it.
1: I was going to ask you about him because basically what I see with him is he's one of the I don't know all the situations in college football, but he has to be one of the luckiest new coordinators in college football this year because it's like, great, I get to land this job and it I get to work with these players. Mm. Sweet. This is gonna be easy this is going to be easy with what I can do. It's kind of like I'm gonna relate it to like a teacher coming out of college. You go to one school and it's like great, I got no resources, what am I gonna do? This is like he's going to that high end school where it's like what I've got technology I've got endless possibilities mm-hmm. let's go let's do this
0: well and especially you know, especially for home games I mean he's going to have a swamp on a side mm-hmm. so I think that's the big thing is if Mullen's able to get up crowd support mm-hmm. Grantham's going to jobs going to be even easier so having guys uh, especially on the outside the secondary looks fantastic um, they have guys in the middle as well finally had a 100, 100 plus tackler last year I think they're going to be able to you know especially bringing him back they're going to have a guy in the middle that's going to be successful I think the biggest thing is. Just making sure, again, your culture is established. And if fan support's behind them, this talent's gonna be able to shine because that pressure's gonna be off them. And then going away, you always have that mindset of, hey, we're gonna be back at the swamp at some point, mm-hmm. but also we have that fan support at home. And being able to push that into a defense, feed the defense, it's absolutely massive. And and that's the one reason why Florida's been consistently great defensively is because of their fans, because of that atmosphere of the swamp. You're consistently going into a hot, muggy place, and you're getting screamed at by 100,000 <laughs> Florida Gator fans. So Grantham not only has it easy because of the talent on him, but he also has the, the, the success, the the, the Benefit of the program that he's going to, um, so I think it's it's massive and it's going to be such an easy job for Grantham. So that's one thing is you it's going to be we're saying it's going to be an easy job. Mm-hmm. If this defense sucks, you're going to look right at Grantham yes. because you have the talent, like you, all this, you have the program, unless you have injuries, the stadium, you have the fans. Unless there's injuries, unless there's injuries, you're going to look at him and be like, all right, mm-hmm. you're a fucking problem. Yeah. So I think that's one thing with with the Gators.
1: Last thing I'll ask is the schedule because for me, I look at it. Maybe this is me. Going back a year or two and thinking of that Florida team and kind of my, I don't want to say bias, but what I've been used to with Florida being at the top of the division, I look at this schedule and I go, except for maybe the Mississippi State LSU Georgia game, very winnable games on the schedule. I agree. I like Charles, like all the non conference Colorado State, Charleston Southern, uh, Florida State, um, I, I, Idaho. Florida State's interesting to interesting. me because it's at Florida State. Well, that plus it's at the end of the year. It'll be a Thanksgiving um, weekend game. Like Willie Taggart, what is he going to do in year one? And also what Brandon and I talked about, I think it was last week or two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago with the whole Francois Blackman situation who's going to start at quarterback? How's that going to play out in itself? It's more winnable than it used to be, is what I'm leaning towards on that mm-hmm. one. And then SEC, like I said, Mississippi State. Yeah, I'm throwing it in there, but you'll probably win that well, and that's one. That's one
0: thing too is Mullen wants to win yeah, that one because he's going back,
1: and he's going back, and it's at home. It's at home. It's at Mississippi, for Mississippi State. State. Yeah. So. Then really, it's LSU and Georgia. Those are the two question marks in the Georgia game, neutral site game.
0: Well, I don't really. I don't. I don't think even the LSU one's going to be a winnable mm-hmm. game because it's at the swamp. So true, and they've got questions at quarterback. I, I think. I think the the schedule and Geis is gone. Fournette's mm-hmm. gone. I mean, they don't have the same. And Charke's oh, gone.
1: Leonard Fournette's gone. They got his little brother Leonard. Oh my bad, Leonard and uh,
0: Leonard. But no, uh, the good Fournette um, yeah. is gone. Uh, chark has gone. Mm-hmm. Geis is gone. I mean, they lost a lot of playmakers. I'm not a big fan of Ed Orgeron, mm-hmm. um, so. I think that LSU game could be massively winnable. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, looking at this Florida team, they might not have a great offense. They have talent on that defense, but it's got to come together. But even then, I still look at this Florida team. I think they can be a a top 25 team again. You know, teams are going to be, I mean, games are going to be difficult. I mean, even Kentucky, even though they're not Mm -hmm. a great team, they might, you know, come in early, especially coming off a pretty decent season for Kentucky. Punch him in the mouth, especially when they're they're you know Florida isn't really um, settled as a team, not really mm-hmm. used with the with playing with under Dan Mullen. Um, same can go with the Tennessee game. That's at Tennessee. That's going to be one of the biggest games uh, for Jeremy Pruitt. If Jeremy Pruitt gets his guys fired up, that could be something that flips. So or like I think at it's,
1: Vanderbilt.
0: Yeah, uh, no, no, actually, no, I don't, I don't believe that. But well,
1: I'm just saying, like being on the road at eh, Vanderbilt, like that could going be going up against Vanderbilt. I'm you should be a ten point. Favorite. I'm saying. I expect Florida to win that one, but I ex- I look at that Vanderbilt game and I go, you know what, maybe it's just the back of my head, a lapse of judgment game for Florida, Vanderbilt wins, and then Vanderbilt fans Whoa. come back to this video and go –
0: Look at that! You doubted us. See, look at what happened. <laughs> I'd give it to you if the floor, if the Georgia game was the next, mm-hmm. the next week. Like but they have, a, ahead. they have a look buy. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing is they're looking. They're not looking forward to Georgia. They're not getting amped up for Georgia. They're getting mm-hmm. amped up for their buy. Yeah. Um. So they're going to be able to put to every, ready for Georgia. Yeah, they're going to put everything they have mm-hmm. into that game for Vanderbilt to make sure they go into that Georgia yeah. game with enough momentum. Um. Especially if they come off against a loss against LSU. Mm-hmm. I think Vanderbilt's just like a sit and duck there. I mean, they're, they're sitting duck <laughs> with a guy with a shotgun who's five feet away from. Oh. Um, um, so, yeah, I think— Poor, poor I think Commodore v- fans. I think Vanderbilt gets exploded on that one. Um, but, yeah, I think I think Florida's going to have a pretty successful season.
1: Yeah, this one should be a complete—almost a complete 180 for Florida back in the right direction. It's the perfect kind of, yes, there's questions on offense, but the defense should help carry this team. Plus the schedule—it would be different if it's like— Instead of you
0: have Bama, you have Auburn.
1: Instead of like Vanderbilt fl- instead yeah. of Mississippi State and LSU, mm-hmm. if you were to play at Bama and then home against Auburn, completely different story. Mm-hmm. Completely different story. You're probably losing those two and to Georgia because really I would give Georgia the um favorite right now just because of what we've seen last year. But this is where I want to turn the question on to you guys. What do you think down below in the comment section? What do you expect? from this offense? Who's going to be the starting quarterback? What do you expect from the offense to help out either quarterback that is starting? What do you think about the defense? And what do you think this team does this year in the SEC East? Let us know what you guys think down below in that comment section. Let's move on into the next team moving up. Then this was a team, kind of like I said with Florida, shocked me that they were so low. This team shocked me that they were so high mm-hmm. in the standings last year. The Mizzou Tigers... Hi. Four and four. Yeah, I know I kind of cracked a little bit. Four and four in conference, seven and six overall. Thing I want to start with this one, getting right into it is what you kind of said. I was like, what should we start with? You said, why not go with the quarterback? Well, it's clear Drew Locke.
0: It's Drew Locke. 43 touchdowns, twelve interceptions, three thousand six hundred and ninety-five mm-hmm. yards. This is a guy coming into this year. He's gotta be number one or number two quarterbacks on most NFL draft guys um big boards. Mm-hmm. Six, four, 225. He's throwing the ball about fifty-eight point two percent. He's throwing around 385, 435 times. And he almost times. left for the NFL. He almost left for the NFL, and he's, he's a pretty decent runner, too. So, I mean, Drew Locke has everything mm-hmm. you want in a quarterback. He's got experience now. He's going to be a senior that's absolutely huge for this Tiger program, so I look at this Missouri team, yes they were surprising but hey, when you have this great of a quarterback and you're going up against now this year, UT Martin, Wyoming Mm -hmm. Purdue, even uh, throwing Memphis in there, this could be a team that hey, maybe you get 9 wins, 10 wins because you have a great quarterback
1: Yeah, and I mean the big thing on top of it is I can't wait, I wish we would have kept Matt on because I wanted to know what he thinks of that now Mizzou Purdue game that's going to go on on September 15th, but to me, the big thing that was interesting with Drew Locke was, like I said, he was waiting. Like he was like, ah, should I go to the NFL? Should I stay here in Columbia? And he waited to make his decision until they found their new offensive coordinator. And what really got him to stay was this is this was a guy in Derek Dooley that was a Dallas Cowboy receivers coach, a former Tennessee head coach, and The big thing that I am interested for this Mizzou team is how he is going to make, because I'm assuming he's going to make Locke better by merging the worlds of the pro-style offense with a run game and deep ball approach. To where it's like, hey, we're going to run the ball, we're going to throw the ball deep. Now, I know what you're saying if you're a Mizzou fan. You're going, Ricky, we want to throw it deep, but we're missing one guy. We're missing our number one receiver last year, Jamon Moore. He was a guy that I know very well because I had him mocked in my full NFL mock draft last year. However, they do have guys behind Moore or coming back that were behind Moore that it's just a question of do they step up? Doesn't Emmanuel Hall, who had over 800 yards last year and had 28 point, or 24.8 yards per catch last year, does he step up? although he was battling injuries. Does sophomore with a name I'm probably going to screw up a lot this year, Albert Okwabumnard. I'm just going to say wasn't Albert. not even close. I'm gonna just say Albert O is what I'm going to call him this year. He's a guy that could be a red zone threat at the tight end Okw- position.
0: Okwabumnard. Closer Okwabugnam. than I was.
1: Closer Okwabugnam. than I was. But it just depends of what are you going to do with the pieces around Drew Locke because I feel like... Dr- Dooley is going to be able to bring out the most of Locke.
0: Well, I think the biggest thing oh, for Drew lock I think the biggest thing for Locke too is he get, he got more consistent as the season went on. And when they were losing, they were bad. In that stretch where they started one and five, he was completing uh passes about fifty three percent. He was seventeen uh seventeen touchdowns of seven uh interceptions was helped by a missouri state game that he had seven touchdowns in but even after that uh, you know went up against idaho had a six six touchdown win interception game and he finished the last seven games 61.6 completion percentage 2,224 yards 27 touchdowns and six interceptions he showed off and he was up going up against again a, a team of florida that was talented tennessee one of the worst defenses last year but still went off Vanderbilt had a nice game in that Arkansas game, that last game of their regular season, 25 completions, 42 um, attempts, 59.5% completion percentage, five touchdowns, two interceptions. He has the ability to take over games. I think that's the biggest thing for Missouri. Mm-hmm. Is Throughout my lifetime, uh, you know, when Missouri has done well, they've had a good quarterback. Blaine Gabbert, Chase Daniels, this Drew Locke might be the next guy who's able to take them you know, fairly deep. They were able to win that back half of that mm-hmm. SEC uh, schedule and show up and had a really nice season. So I think that's going to be the biggest thing for Missouri is having consistency and not having those big spurts. Not going 6-0 and oh, uh, at the end of the season and not mm-hmm. starting off 1-5. and five. If they're able to have a consistent season, I think it's going to be so uh, massive for Drew Locke's growth as a quarterback um, yes, you have a ton of confidence going into that bowl game, having mm-hmm. six straight wins, but if you know you can go in on any single week and win the game and be able to win one, lose one, and come back and win one, I think that's the biggest thing for at least the, the, the Missouri Tigers is having that consistency. I'm not too worried about the weapons he's losing. I'm not too worried about uh, the weapons around Drew Lock because I think great quarterbacks make their weapons around them mm-hmm. better. I still think he has some pretty solid receivers on the outside that's going to help him. So I look at this Missouri Tiger team and I think they might be a sleeper this year.
1: Well, And the thing you got to look at, too, is the defense, because this is a defense that not only has been known for their D-line play, they're also going to, to me, they're going to have a really good front seven, and mainly their linebacking core is stacked. They've got guys like Therese Hall. They've got guys like Cale Garrett. They've got guys like Brandon Lee, who combined for a combined 27.5 tackles for loss, 4.5 sacks, and 10 pass defenses last year. That is insane from the linebacker position. This is what I wonder. Can the defense do enough to get off the field quickly and not let the other team score? Duh. That's what defenses do. And can the weapons around lock do enough to help this team and boost this team? Because Right now, you're kind of in, like, if you stay the same as you were last year, you're kind of in a limbo, and that's the only thing I fear for this team because I expect Florida to get better. I expect Vanderbilt to maybe get a little better. I expect Tennessee to get better. Out of the three teams below you, I expect two of them to be a lot better than they were last year. Are you going to, basically, it's an adapt or die situation. Are you going to adapt and stay ahead of teams like Florida, Tennessee, and make the jump over teams like Kentucky and Southern Ca- or South Carolina, mm-hmm. or are you going to stay where you are and kind of stay in a limbo? Right there, fourth in the SEC. But I
0: think the biggest thing for Missouri is that, you know, again, we look at what they did last year, having those mm-hmm. six straight wins, you're getting the biggest games off your schedule right away. Because, yes, you're going to have to go up against Tennessee Martin, you're going to go up against Wyoming, you're going to go up against Purdue. Um, I think you can win those three games, start off 3 0. Then you're going to host Georgia. Now, if that's a close game, you're still going to have confidence because, hey, we just lost a close game to, you know, the net, uh, mm-hmm. you know runners up to, in the national championship yeah. last year. And then you look at that South Carolina game. Going to be another big game. Then then you go up against Alabama. That's three games right there. That's going mm-hmm. to be rough. It's going to be tough. You're going up against uh, good old Kirby. You're going up against Will Muschap. You're going up against Saban. But if you're able to escape that one mm-hmm. and two, and with a fairly decent, uh, you know, uh, point differential in those games, I think you got to be confident, especially with the way they finished last year with six straight wins. Then you go up against Memphis. That's going to be, you know, Memphis is a pretty decent um, non-power five, but still, it's a game that you should win, especially at home. Mm-hmm. Then you go up against Kentucky. You're better. Kentucky you're going up against Florida they have a first year head coach then you go up against Vanderbilt that could be a slaughter Tennessee another first year head coach and then you round it out against Arkansas this could be a team that goes on another six game win streak to end the Mm -hmm. season and gets nine wins and that would be a massive success for this Missouri football program
1: I don't see six wins. I know that you're just comparing that to last year I don't see six wins at the end of the year and the only reason I say that is Florida I think to me, it's fair, and it's at Florida. To me, there are three for sure losses on the schedule for me home against Georgia, at Brian Denny Stadium, at the Swamp. Those are the only three that are for sure. Then to me there are. I
0: wouldn't chuck. I would say I would say there's two for sure losses. Georgia
1: and Georgia, Alabama. Georgia
0: and Bama. And then I would say there's two toss up games. I would say there's two that. I would say there's two that they're mm-hmm. not favored in, and that's the South Carolina game because it's at South Carolina, mm-hmm. and in the Florida game because they're at the swamp. But other than that, I think they should either be favored or they mm-hmm. should be toss ups.
1: I I am looking at it where my for sure I'm going to throw Florida into that. So there's three. Then to me, I feel like they beat South Carolina this year because for me. I might be a little lower on South Carolina than many people might want to. I don't trust a Will Muschamp team. That's just something that I'm thinking about. The other three games that I don't like, they're not going to be losses for sure, but I don't know how they're going to go, are at Purdue. Mm -hmm. Like we were talking to Matt before his segment or after his segment because I was trying to get him on the Purdue segment that we're going to be doing next month when we do the Big Ten preview And he was like, wow, I'm actually excited to talk about Purdue football before a season in a long time. So they're supposed to be better. That could be a loss. I'm not saying it will be, but it could be. Vanderbilt, I think, will be a win for Mizzou. But with what we just talked about with Vanderbilt, anything like that game, I could see it being an upset game. And we're looking at that going, what? Mizzou lost to who? Mm -hmm. They lost to who? That i That's the only way I see that going as a loss. But Tennessee's the other one because Jeremy Pruitt's going to get things done. It's just does he get them done this year? So to me, if everything goes right, you're looking at a three-loss team at the end of the regular season. If everything goes wrong, then maybe they're a four, five, six-loss team like they were last year. I don't see them falling below they were last year. But the highest I see them getting this year is a three-loss team, which to put that in perspective, that would be good enough if we're going off of last year to be second in the sec east
0: yeah but but it's gonna be different with this sec East because again florida's better tennessee mm-hmm. you think is going to be better yeah um south carolina you have know, third year under east. Champ. it's gonna be a closer east i think i don't think it's gonna be as bad because mm-hmm. so many teams fell off missouri went on that crazy run or is
1: it just I georgia mean, runs away with it and i think, everyone jo- else I think is georgia close. runs away with
0: it but i think mm-hmm. i think it's the teams are gonna be better and they're gonna be yeah. more consistent because no team outside of georgia was really consistent last mm-hmm. year maybe south carolina um and and maybe even Kentucky, but like there wasn't a lot of consistency in that SEC East. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think if Missouri, again, is consistent, I think that's going to play big into them. Yes, they might lose those three games against South Carolina, Alabama, Auburn, give you a three-game losing streak, but again, if they're close, I think that's going to be enough confidence. I think that's going to be the biggest thing is as long as they're able to keep their confidence, you have the great quarterback, a guy Mm -hmm. that's going to be an NFL pro, behind you or behind the starting center leading you, I think that's going to be the biggest thing for Drew Locke is 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 if he's able to take this team, put them on their back and say, all right, guys, on day in, day out, you're going to be able to trust me. I'm not going to put us in positions to lose mm-hmm. games. I think that's going to be massive for this Missouri team. And if he's able to bring those, those interception numbers down, too. Do you think, think he's going to
1: do a lot of the – do you think he'll have to do a lot of the carrying or will we see any of these receivers and – um, well, running back step up, I
0: don't think it, or not get injured. See, I don't think that that's a big thing because even if they do step up, the credit's still going to Drew Lock. Mm-hmm. So I think they're going to do enough. I think he's going to find them when they're open. I think you know they're still talented athletes.
1: Let me put it this way: Will we have a LeBron James in the final situation
0: where no, we're I looking don't think at you, Drew Lock? You don't where, see that in where we're looking at Drew Lock on man? If he had
1: just a little bit better wide receivers, oh. maybe they win mean, some games.
0: Maybe, but I, I think it's more of the scheme more of the defense will the defense mm-hmm. be able to keep the pressure off lock will he be able to get a break mm-hmm. um I think if he's and, and and the biggest thing too is if he's able to make the right reads it doesn't matter who's out there as long as they're catching balls I mean maybe if it's like a, a good old Cleveland Brown scenario where you know they're 0-16 and they're mm-hmm. about to finally beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in the in the 16th game and Corey Coleman drops a easily easily catchable ball on, mm-hmm. the, on the on the on the sideline then yeah maybe we'll be saying that but Overall, throughout the season, I think it's just going to be more of what can Drew Locke do, what is he limited, and how high is he going to be going in the NFL draft, and can he get this Missouri team nine wins?
1: Yeah, and I mean, just looking here at what other people are saying, um, the quote I'll read is, there's just enough turnover to give one pause, but most of the reason for last year's second-half surge um, return, that suggests a pretty high floor in a division that features quite a few teams that bottomed out in 2017. So really it depends on what are we going to see from this SEC East? Are we going to see the teams like we talked about, Tennessee, Florida, get better and kind of challenge? Or will this be a Mizzou team where it's like, hey, you guys are down there. We beat you guys again. We're going after the Kentuckys. We're going after the South Carolinas. Because I just don't think they'll ever, this season, they won't ever get this year to the same level as a Georgia, as an Auburn, as an Alabama, respectively. I don't think that's a slap in the face to anyone in Columbia. But this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in the comment section about Drew Locke, about the Mizzou Tigers, and how you think the football season is going to go this year. Let's move on, though, into the next team. We got three left. Going into the Kentucky Wildcats. And the first thing I want to lead off with them is just a little look at last season. Mm-hmm. I prepped you for one thing. I'm going to throw another thing right. at you, Sean. Cool, great. This is a team that was two plays away against Florida and against Old Miss from winning six SEC games last year. They finished four and four. Two plays bounced the other way. They go six and four in co- or six and two in conference. They go what they would have finished nine and five overall and would have been the second best team in the sec. The bad news of like, that was the good news. The bad news last year is they were outgained by nearly 75 yards per game in league play. And out of the last four of their final games overall. So, for me, well for you I'll ask, mm-hmm. looking at that coming into this season, can Kentucky fans kind of assume that hey, maybe it's going to be a little bit different this year than it was last year?
0: I don't know if it's really going to be different cuz looking at the team it's not there's not any major mm-hmm. things that I look at that really jump off the page and I think the one thing too is in big games you know Kentucky didn't play Against Georgia, they got smoked, forty-two to thirteen. Yes, that was at Georgia, but still, mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't close. You look at that Louisville game at Kentucky. That's a massive game right there, fighting for the bragging rights of, uh, of Kentucky. There, mm-hmm. you get smoked, forty-four to seventeen in the Music City Bowl, twenty-four to twenty-three. You lose to Northwestern, and then also that Florida game, you lose there. You say two plays away, um, you lose against Ole Miss. You weren't able to win the big games. Yeah, you beat uh, Kentucky, or you beat Southern Miss, you beat Eastern Kentucky. You got to win over South Carolina and you beat Eastern Michigan, but. Outside of that, there's nothing that really surprises me or, or, or gives me too much hope. You beat teams that you were supposed to, and you got <laughs> blown out in teams that you weren't supposed to even be close at. Um, I, I look at this Kentucky team, and I, I think it's going to be more of the same this year. Um, you know, Central Michigan, I think Kentucky should win that one. I think they're probably going to lose to Florida um, against Dan Mullen. I think Mullen's better the, a, a better coach than Owen, and I think you know now this is going to be a Florida team with a true coach and a true direction. They'll beat Murray State. Mississippi will be a close game, but... Uh, you know, I, I think Kentucky should be favored because it's a new new regime there. Um, South Carolina, they should lose Texas A and M with Jimbo Fisher. I think they probably lose that one, especially mm-hmm. being at Texas A and M. Vanderbilt, they should win that one. Missouri, that's at Missouri. I favor Missouri in that one. Georgia, they're probably going to get smoked. Tennessee, they should win that one, but I wouldn't be surprised again, like we talked about in the Tennessee football uh, preview, if Tennessee was able to win that one at Tennessee. Middle Tennessee, you should win there. And with Louisville, Lamar Jackson's gone, but. You still got smoked. Here's 44 17 in that game. So here's my biggest worry. I think I think this is a team that's in the middle of the pack.
1: I don't even think that this could be a team that's a bottom feeder this year mm. in the SEC East. The reason why I say that is I told you the good. I told you the bad. Do you want to know the worst for this team coming into this year? Mm. They don't have a quarterback who has taken an FBF an FBS snap. That doesn't matter me. They haven't taken, like, this is, it's like, for me, I look at it, and it's like, all right, who are you going to start? Terry Wilson, who, yeah, he he began his career at Oregon, then he came from JUCO. Or are you going to go with Gunnar Hoke, who apparently ended the spring as the front runner for the starting job? Mm -hmm. To me, I think that's going to play a, I'm not saying it's like, oh, you're not going to win a single game this year. I think that's going to play into it, especially if... Hoke is the guy, maybe over a Wilson, who has, has at least been at a JUCO and have gotten some snaps. Let's look at this though. Who
0: is the national championship runner-up? Georgia. Mm-hmm. They had a freshman quarterback. Let's look at the team that won the national championship. Mm-hmm. Who they win it with? A freshman Two. quarterback. It doesn't matter if you haven't taken an FBS snap. It's matter. It matters if you can throw the, the damn ball.
1: And the one, or thing, if you can
0: run the ball. If, the, you, if you The could be only a dual thing threat. I
1: would say to that too is the coaches. Nick Saban much and Kirby different. Smart.
0: Much different much than different. Mark but, Stoops. But still, I mean, mm-hmm. this is... That's not the biggest... Like, you, you gotta play a snap mm-hmm. before. Like, the questions with Tennessee is, we've seen those guys play snaps. Yeah, They weren't that damn good. So that's that's the thing with that is, with just Kentucky, wondered, like, we don't know what we're gonna get, but that's not my biggest worry. My biggest mm-hmm. worry is if, if you can be consistent, and if you're mm-hmm. gonna be able to show up and win some games you aren't supposed to.
1: Who would you, Do you have an idea of who you would go with? Because apparently, from what I'm reading... Gunnar Hoke was the guy out of spring because he's the more traditional pro style guy Mm -hmm. and – He's been in this playbook for two years.
0: Well, that, that, that's the thing. I'd go with Gunnar Hoke because yes, he hasn't played, a, taken a snap, but he's taken snaps in practice. He's mm-hmm. taken snap with these guys before. Um, you know, Terry Wilson could be a guy that they use in different packages because he's a guy that does have some some wheels on him. Especially having uh, Benny Snell back there in the backfield, throwing some looks at there where they could do a, a read option where they can, they can really you know um, run some speed options on the outside. Mm-hmm. I, I think knowing that Kentucky. Offense. I think that um, you know Terry Wilson could be a guy that ends up nudging himself out if he's able to show that he's a dynamic playmaker, especially having his second chance now um, in the NCAA after being in JUCO and after you know going away mm-hmm. from Oregon. Um, I think Hope probably gets the starting job, but I, I think this is going to be something where we might see a quarterback by committee, where whoever's hot goes in. I think that might hopefully be hopefully it's the not best like thing. the
1: Kaiser Zaire. Well, quarterback that was a different. That... that was
0: different, though. I, mean, oh, I know it... Kai, Kaiser was. By far the better quarterback. let bringing up bad memories. Let's
1: hope we don't see a game like you just talked Malik, about earlier. This podcast. Malik Zaire
0: was was supposed to be an athlete and wasn't mm-hmm. that good of an athlete. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, it, it's it's like one of the the coaches that we know when we talk to mm-hmm. the worst combination in, in in basketball is being small and slow. Well, mm-hmm. you know, Malik Zaire was big and slow and couldn't throw the ball, mm-hmm. and it's the worst combination for a quarterback. So I think Terry Wilson and Gunnar Hope gives them options. I don't know which one's the best option because mm-hmm. we we haven't been able to see too much of them. It's going to yeah. really be dependent on how they look in their first couple of games. And I think looking at this schedule, I think we might see something where in that Central Michigan game, in that Murray State game, um, we might see both of these guys get a half or, or both of these guys get a start. Maybe that True. Central Michigan game, Hoke gets a start, and then when uh, you know Murray State comes around, um, at Kentucky, then Wilson gets a start. I, I think maybe uh, for the first two games, we see Hoke um, start, and if he's winning games and if he's looking good out there, I think they stick with him. Um, but I think after that Florida game, if Hoke's looking all, all right, if he's looking okay, they throw in uh, mm-hmm. Terry Wilson and see what he can do in, in a start against Murray State.
1: The rough thing about that strategy is I feel like if you do that, the Central Michigan game is the only game you do that with. And the only reason why is because Florida at the Swamp is my second game on the year. If I don't have my starting quarterback solidified by week one, and I'm using week one to kind of help decide, I want my starting quarterback solidified by that Saturday night because I want to then be able to prep him on Monday, getting ready for Florida and not have to worry about who is still my starting quarterback. The guy on this offense, though, that I think is going to be the biggest, um, what's the word I'm looking for? the biggest guy that they lean on this year mm-hmm. is their running back in uh, Benny Snell. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say that is doesn't matter who your quarterback is. This is the kid that shined a lot last year because they have the question at quarterback of who do we start? He's going to have to kind of take over some games and kind of be like, I'm going to be the anchor on this offense. Yes. Their offensive line returns four of their five starters that should help Snell out. That should even help the quarterbacks out. A little bit but to me it's like all right we're let's use the run game to help take some pressure off of whichever one of these quarterbacks is our starting quarter or is our starter this year and when you look at previews and stuff that say that oh well Snell could break the program's career rushing record mm-hmm. he could with a real strong junior season
0: yeah and I think uh, you know, looking at Benny Snell, I mean, this is a guy that you know possibly could be gone after this year. Mm-hmm. Looking at the NFL, um, being a junior now, being eligible after this year, I think it's going to be someone that's you know really can make a name for himself, and it's going to be a massive year for Benny Snell, not only for his team trying to help his team win, but majorly like how is he going to help himself at the next level? Um, so Benny Snell, he's a guy that's going to be motivated. He's going to be a guy that with another year under his belt throughout his career at Kentucky, he's averaged over five yards per carry, um, eighteen touchdowns last year 13 touchdowns uh in in his freshman year and that's absolutely ridiculous talking about uh, a guy already with 31 rushing touchdowns Mm -hmm. in only two years and he's still got another one after um Benny Snell is gonna be a guy that you know that's why I'm not too worried about that quarterback situation because Mm -hmm. both of those guys as long as they can hand off to Benny Snell it's not gonna be too much of a a difference um, um so I I really like Benny Snell the only downside about him is he's not a a guy that's going to come out of the backfield and catch Mm -hmm. the pass for you. But
1: that's the thing where, like, you say, oh, I don't worry about that because of a guy like Benny Snell. I still worry about that quarterback decision only because if you don't have a competent quarterback back there this season, there's two ways I see this year going. Let's say a guy like, we'll say Gunnar Hoke because he's the guy that people are saying had a really strong spring and is the front runner right now. If he comes out as consistent, this could be a team that wins seven games this year for the first time under Mark Stoops. However, like you listed off, if the quarterbacks aren't up to snuff and the rest of the talent on this team, which is some good talent, doesn't have that support from the most important position on offense, you went through the schedule. Florida would be a loss. I would say Mississippi State would be a loss. Texas A&M would be a loss. Georgia, I'll say LSU. And then after that, I'll throw in even Tennessee or a possible Tennessee and a possible either Missouri-Vanderbilt. Take your pick. I'm going to go with Mizzou because it's on the road, and they've got the better just Mm -hmm. all-over situation on offense than Vanderbilt does. If those two what-ifs and those five for-sures for me happen— It's a seven-loss season. You're not even making—it's like you're not just dropping into a lesser bowl. You're dropping out of the postseason
0: altogether. I don't know if that's going to be really—in my mind, I don't see that happening. Mm Because I think Central Michigan's a win. Murray State's a win. Uh, Vanderbilt's a win. Uh, Tennessee, I think, should be a win. Middle Tennessee Mm -hmm. State—Middle Tennessee um, should be a win. So that's right there, five wins. And and then the other ones, Missouri Mm -hmm. toss-up. Louisville toss-up, especially with Lamar gone. Um, Texas A&M could be a toss-up too We don't know how Jimbo is going to do in his first year um, Mississippi State, even a toss-up And Florida, first. that's going to be mm-hmm. one of the first games for that Florida team If Florida loses their first game, and I mm-hmm. don't think they will Because I think they have a really easy game in their first one But it's going to be the first test of Dan Mullen and that Florida team Yes, it was in the Swamp, but this team, the Kentucky team last year you know, Gave Florida hell Florida at the swamp. is so, playing
1: Charleston Southern in yeah, the first so game So it's
0: going to be a breeze for Florida on that one mm-hmm. So it's going to be the first real test for both teams I, I think that there are five for sure wins, and I think there are three toss-ups. So I'm not looking at five, uh, you know, five wins. I'm looking mm-hmm. at five losses going eight and five, possibly.
1: Well, let's put it the same. Like, me and you are pretty much the same looking into it. Is
0: Sorry, you not eight see, five, seven and five.
1: You see five for sure wins with three toss-ups. I see five for sure losses with two toss-ups. So mm-hmm. for me, that's going to be the kind of— with the quarterback is which team are you going to make this team? Are you going to help this team be the one where Sean has them? Five if for sure wins worried, can get them and, to and seven. you're worried
0: about the quarterback. I'm not too worried yeah. about the quarterback. Well, I, that's if, what I'm if, saying. They, if they get the quarterback, they'll be fine. Is, I think they'll be fine. They have that, two options. But that
1: quarterback situation is like let's say we have your seven wins. I'm going to throw your two what-ifs as wins. My two what-ifs is losses. Seven wins to seven losses are kind of doing this teeter-totter thing back and forth. The pillar in the middle that it's teetering on is the quarterback. If quarterback comes in, whether it's Hoke, whether it's Wilson, and they're competent, then all right, then it may sway into your seven wins, and they will have a really good season. Or if they come in mistake ridden, not well, they're mistake
0: ridden, then those five for sures turn losses. Exactly, and it's like I'm just not too worried about them. That's where it is,
1: but it's I'm saying it's just what what are we going to see? And there's no for sure. Of what we are.
0: Let's look in Kentucky. Kentucky's Mm -hmm. never had great quarterbacks. last great quarterback they had was Tim Couch. Like, they don't Mm -hmm. have great quarterbacks consistently. So as long as they're competent, as long as they're going, you Mm -hmm. know, nine touchdowns, nine interceptions, and they have like a 55% completion rate, 54% completion rate, they're able to run the read option fairly decent, they're going to be fine.
1: Last year, and this is a low benchmark because like you said, quarterbacks at Kentucky don't really fly off the stat. If... You're a quarterback in Kentucky. All you need to do, at the least in my mind, is have a season like Steven Johnson last year. Complete 60 61% of your passes, throw for at least 2,000 yards, touchdowns of 10 to 4 touchdown to interception ratio. Let Benny Snell do it all. Ha- let him have his 18, maybe 20 touchdowns this year. And then you will be a team that's winning five to six to seven games. This year, yeah,
0: I think that's the thing. I don't think Stoops is going to take a step back because mm-hmm. consistently he's either stayed a five and seven, but he's made that jump up to seven and five. I think mm-hmm. if he takes a step back, it's going to be one loss. But I don't think Mark Stoops is a great coach, but I don't think he's a bad bad enough coach to, to turn this team completely around mm-hmm. just because of a quarterback change. And the quarterback change, you didn't lose a guy yeah. like you know Carson Wentz, you didn't mm-hmm. lose a guy like Sam Darnold. You he lost. had
1: his worst season in 2013, first year, two and ten, didn't win a conference game. Mm-hmm. Then two five and seven seasons, two and six in conference. Then the last two years it's been seven and six, now, four and four. The in East conference.
0: has gotten better, but the East is still young. I mean mm-hmm. Tennessee, brand new coach. Um, we're talking about Vanderbilt's coach possibly being on the, the hot seat. Mm-hmm. We're looking at Drew Locke if he if he's able to, you know, have a defense behind him. We're looking at Florida with Dan Mullen being new. Um, you know, South Carolina, Will Muschap is an okay coach, but is he a great coach? Like there's a, the only for sure thing mm-hmm. in the SEC East is Georgia. And outside of that yeah. There, there isn't a for-sure team. So that's why I think Kentucky I can, mean, can end up with seven wins, five, I mean, eight, or eight, at, possibly even eight wins. You look at
1: two of the other games, I know Brandon and I talked about these two teams last week. You kind of mentioned it. Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher coming in, plus they have a question at quarterback of who's going to start there. And then Mississippi State, yeah, they got Nick Fitzgerald, but they've got a new head coach there as well. So there are the good thing for Kentucky A lot of questions about these teams. And South Carolina, who we're going to get to next, it really, for me, with them is, are they going to be the same team? Because I didn't expect them last year to be the second-best team in the SEC East. So Kentucky, to me, my final thought, kind of put a linchpin in it, is what do we get from the quarterback? If we get at least what I said from those Steven Johnson stats, don't turn over the ball a lot, give me a few touchdowns, complete 61% of your passes, then you'll be good. But if it's the other side, you're turning the ball over more than you're scoring touchdowns, you're completing under 60% of your passes, then we could see this team slip into, ooh, they're in a lesser bowl game, or maybe out of the postseason altogether, final thoughts on Kentucky before we move to South Carolina
0: again like most of the teams we've talked about so far if you find consistency I think this team mm-hmm. could be a, a a decent team that gets seven wins and the consistency isn't really in the games itself but really at the at the quarterback position for Kentucky
1: well this is where you guys come in let us know what you think down below in that comment section what do you expect from the quarterback position this year what do you expect from Kentucky how many wins and losses do you see for this team in 2018 let us know what you think down below in that comment section. Let's move on, though, into the next team. We're almost at the end, Sean. Almost there. We got two more left. Looking at the South Carolina Gamecocks in this segment of the podcast. And this is a team kind of turned some heads last year. I definitely turned my head. Going 9-4 and four overall, 5-3 and three in the conference last year. This is a team that, I mean mainly for me, I wasn't expecting it because, I mean, Will champ teams mm-hmm. don't really expect nine wins and especially six and seven his first year, three and five in the conference. But this is a South Carolina team where, to me, the biggest question that I'll start with is, yeah, you've got on defense, they have to replace a ton of pieces and that could be a problem. But to me, I usually look to offense. It's just the kind of guy that I am. And to me... The two big questions for offense is, number one, what are we going to see under the new offensive coordinator of Brian McClendon, who is now Champs' fourth offensive coordinator mm-hmm. in his seven seasons as a head coach, and what kind of a quarterback-wide receiver combination are we going to see because of that? What do you think for this offense with a now new offensive coordinator, yet again, for a well Muschamp team.
0: Well, I, the biggest thing is they they need to pick up it, pick it up on the offensive side. I mean, this mm-hmm. is one of the worst uh, offenses in, in in the SEC. I mean, obviously we know what Muschamp can do with defenses, um, but I, 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 the Mclelden. McCle- needs to really be able to bring in a, a Who's fresh Who's an in-house change. guy, by the yeah, way. Yeah, he needs to bring a, a fresh change. And I think you know he's talking about going to a, an up-tempo uh, offense. I think that's going to be the biggest thing mm-hmm. for them is if they're able to at least tire out a defense and then have the offense go up against that monster mm-hmm. of a defense in South Carolina— that's going to be something huge because if you're able to keep the opposing defenses on their toes and then consistently have them keep coming out because you keep shutting mm-hmm. down the opposition on four and outs on short drives, that's going to tire them out and that's going to make you you know open up the offense, open them up left and right. And you look to that outback bowl where they did have success against Michigan and Michigan was a fantastic defense mm-hmm. last year. That was the, the bright spot of that Michigan team. And you look what Jake Bentley did 239 yards, two touchdowns, one receptions. You look at the receiving. They had, uh, you know, uh, uh, couple guys. uh, They had uh, pretty much most of their guys. Um, You know, Hayden Hurst was one of them. Obviously he's gone, but they had guys with five catches, three catches, three catches, four catches. They were able to at least include a lot of different guys Um, and that was with uh, their leading rusher only having 45 yards on the ground. So I think the biggest thing for South Carolina is just having consistent guys out there Mm -hmm. and it's really not having a star wide receiver um, out there like an Alshon Jeffrey or Hayden Hurst who was a star Mm -hmm. for them. Um, I think it's just more having consistent guys that they can go to um, and consistent guys that they can continue to run out on the field and just do something for them have make them have a, a contribution keep that offense mm-hmm. up pace and again slowing down some of these um, the, these quick fast pace um, SEC defenses And if they're able to keep those SEC defenses on their toes that's going to be massive they were able to do that against Michigan I think that's going to be uh, probably the the key for them to have success this year
1: well and the thing that I'm kind of leaning to and kind of seeing with um, some of McClendon's um, quotes that he's been saying is it kind of seems like he's going to go more of an up-tempo style. I'm not talking like Chip Kelly up-tempo, but more so maybe like what I know you and I, when we were in college doing the sports media thing also, um, they're kind of the up-tempo that we're used to of like quarterback. And it's not a full huddle. It's all right, get to the line, go to the side, get the play. All right, come back, hike. And one of the quotes I've got here from McClendon said, it's really simple. The more plays you run, the more opportunity you get for yards and points. You just get more at-bats. That's the biggest thing. We're going to try to keep snapping the ball and keep getting points. That's the plan. We want to be balanced and stay aggressive and be in attack mode as much as possible. And part of me likes this because part of me feels like, based off of the schedule that they got played this year, How is that Georgia game, number two overall, second week of the season, going to play out with that mentality? Because Mm -hmm. to be honest, with this mentality, without this mentality, most people are expecting them to beat Coastal Carolina. I don't care if Coastal Carolina played a close game against an SEC team last year. Most teams are expecting, if you're from the SEC, to beat Coastal Carolina. And it was, I believe— Let me see. What was that close game that they had? Oh, it was Arkansas. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Arkansas, they only lost 39-38. to But to me, it's that Georgia game. If you come out against Georgia, a Georgia team that's going to be playing Austin P in its first game, so not the most struggling of teams in that first week. If you come out against Georgia, especially getting the ball first, what if you win the coin toss, you say, we want the ball, we're going to score, Matt Hasselbeck style, and then you, quick offense, Boom, 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 punch Georgia in the face right away. Score first Mm on him on that drive without taking much time off the board. What is that going to do tempo-wise for an early game, which part of me coming in looking at the schedule is like, oh, you're playing Georgia that soon? I don't know how confident I am about
0: that. I look at the schedule, and I I, I love it. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm disagreeing with you. I love the schedule because you look at it. 3 games at home. Mm-hmm. Then you go two game break, you go to Vanderbilt, mm-hmm. which should be a winnable game and Kentucky which should be a, be a winnable game. game. And then you look at three straight games at home, mm-hmm. Missouri, Texas A&M, Tennessee, all of those winnable games, all of those at home. Then you take a two game break, you go on the road, Ole Miss, Florida. You know, uh two tough tougher opponents, mm-hmm. but still winnable games. And then you come back, Chattanooga Clemson both at home Clemson's gonna be a tough game but still you're at home and, and, and the biggest thing is you're getting you know time off you're playing at home mm-hmm. for consecutive stretches you're not going back forth back forth back forth I absolutely love this schedule yes are you gonna have tough teams yes but every SEC team is going to and you have two of your two of the, the two hardest opponents on your schedule at home Georgia and Clemson and they're miles apart start of the season end of the season. Love this schedule for for South Carolina, and you talk about the the up tempo and at least you the, said
1: Clemson's at home.
0: Oh, Clemson's South Carolina. Clemson's
1: on the ropes. Yeah.
0: Still, and in, in South Carolina, I saw yeah. I saw C and then South Carolina. Yeah. I just thought it was Columbia. My bad. Um, but still.
1: It's in Death Valley, baby. Yeah,
0: but still running down that end. Ramp. <laughs> end of the edge of the season. Yeah, you start, you start pretty much with Georgia. You end with Clemson. Um, and it's still in South Carolina. Gamecock it's not like fans a massive... might
1: still think it's a home game because it's well. It's, that's the
0: thing. It's, it, it's that's so why close. It's 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 mm-hmm. an in-state rival. So I, I look at this, and you know, you talk about the hypothetical of you know, what if they start, mm-hmm. um, you know, quick against Georgia. It's Georgia. I mean, they were just—they got a, a really good defense too. Well, so were, I don't
1: expect it to happen,
0: and they were in a national championship game. Mm-hmm. And they, they faced adversity before. Kirby Smart, Smart is a great mm-hmm. coach. I don't think that's going to rattle Georgia. I don't think it's going to you know take them off their knocks. Do I think South Carolina can pull pull off an mm-hmm. upset? Yeah, you're bringing Jake Fromm into Columbia. If he's not right with his wide receivers, if he's not ready. And, you know, he did go up against, uh, you know, an Alabama team in in the national championship game Mm -hmm. and looked fairly decent, but, you know, quarterbacks have bad days. And if this is one of his bad days, South Carolina can pull off off that upset.
1: And the thing with the, just don't mean to cut you off, but with the McClendon comment is not necessarily knocking Georgia back and being like, whoa, what's going on here? But more importantly, if you want to beat a team like Georgia— if you want to beat a team like Florida, some of these well what we think would be top tier teams, really to me maybe Clemson and Georgia defensively are going to be the two best defensive teams that South Carolina plays. I kind of feel like you want to have that attack that like attack dog mentality of like we're going to be on the aggressive front. We're going to attack you. We're not going to sit back and wait and melt clock. We're going to attack you every second we get to try to tire you out and knock at that defense and then find our little spots by keeping up tempo to score some points.
0: Yeah, I I think it's something that it's going to take time for the South Carolina offense to adjust to. But if they're able to adjust to it during the offseason, then mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, if you're going up against Georgia that's not expecting this, that only saw it against Coastal Carolina, mm-hmm. um, it, it could be something where maybe they even hold back a little bit against Coastal Carolina because they know they can beat Coastal Carolina. Yeah. They can win it with their defense. And especially if they start off quick and that defense you know really starts to pull away and it becomes a, big of a, a bit of a blowout, then they start to slow it down a bit. That could be something where Georgia hasn't seen the full power of this offense. it it, it could be something that they can use as a disguise. And you're bringing back a a, a solid quarterback. I mean, Jake Bentley, he's now in his third year. Mm -hmm. He's a guy that had a really great season last year. 18 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, completed a ton of passes, 62% on the year, near 3,000 yards. I love that from from a sophomore quarterback he's just going to get better he's going to be a guy that possibly puts himself into uh nfl you know talks draft talks 6'4, 224 body can complete some passes if he's able to have a really decent year 25 touchdowns and you know keep that interception number around 12 he can be mm-hmm. a guy that puts himself in, into some some really um you know high quality names and, and possibly put himself into the top three rounds of the nfl draft so this is a team that if Jake Bentley's able to fit into this offense. They already have a very veteran play caller that has talent. So it's going to be something where, again, if they're able to adjust to that during the summer, Mm -hmm. and especially trusting McLeod because he's been in camp, it's going to be something, again, where South Carolina can possibly pull off some upsets against Clemson, against Georgia, and maybe put themselves near the top of the SEC. And it's
1: weird. For most of this podcast, I have been saying, oh, biggest question, offensive side of the ball. This is one of the first team's biggest question for me, Defensive side of the ball. Yeah, they have third-year coordinator, um, Tavares Robinson back, which that's not the question. The question for me is Robinson, who is a guy that will be in talks for head coaching positions at the end of the year, sooner rather than later will be a future head coach in college football. It's just going to happen. But he had to replace a lot of guys, especially up the middle, and then they also have guys like, the safety position, that secondary, which could be a little bit of a work in progress this season. So for me, that's my question mark. Will the offense be, and this is kind of the double-edged sword, if you're going to be up-tempo trying to get more at-bats, if you keep scoring and it's like, oh, we scored in, let's say, two minutes. Oh, we scored in a minute and a half. Is that then going to hurt this defense Because it's like, great, we had to try to find guys. We probably don't have the most depth and now our defense is getting tired because they're out on the field more. However, it's a little yin and yang because I'd rather be out on the field with a 21-point mm-hmm. lead than out on the field a lot with a 21-point deficit. We're
0: talking about a team that, again, has a coach in place. This mm-hmm. is not an SEC, SEC East team that's a revolving yeah. door of coaches. Will Muschamp's been there for three years. Mm-hmm. And if Will Muschamp has proven anything in his coaching career is that he can put out a good defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though he wasn't successful at Florida, he put out a good defense. Mm-hmm. He got a head coaching job because he could put out yeah. a good defense. Yeah, they might not be depth, you know, full, full of depth, but mm-hmm. they have talent, and they have a good head coach, and they have a good defensive coordinator. I'm not really worried about this defense. Yeah, if injuries come about like they usually do in in, in football seasons, it's going to be a blow to the Gamecocks. But, if they're able to keep their stars out on the field, I think Muschamp will do enough and make sure those Deficiencies on defense are mm. hidden while really making those um, additions, those those positives shine on that defense. So I'm not really worried uh, about that that defense. I'm worried about the offense just because how will they adjust to the, the the pace of play? But I see South Carolina at worst if they're not able to adjust as probably the third best team in, in the SEC East. And if they have a great season, maybe even number one if uh-huh. if they're able to knock off Georgia and they both finish with one loss. Uh-huh. Well. They have a tiebreaker against Georgia, so yeah. I think that's going to be the biggest thing is is, is how, how well are you going to play against Clemson, mm-hmm. how well are you going to play against South Carolina, because you would be favored in every other game pretty much, it's just you're not going to be favored in those two games, and you got to come out, and I think you got to have strong showings in both of them. They can be a team that sticks around the top 25 for, for a while um, throughout the season, especially after that Georgia game, if they're able to pick up a couple wins, like five or six wins after that Georgia game, mm-hmm. this could be a team that maybe hits the top 15.
1: It's funny, because most of this podcast, before we got into Carolina, I was like, oh, I'm probably going to be a little bit lower on Carolina. But after looking at it, I'm not going to be that low on Carolina. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a schedule, and this is a team that I look at. For me, two for-sure losses, in my mind. Could change my mind, not saying that the real world is going to be what I say. You're. I don't think they beat Georgia. I don't think they beat Clemson because for me, Georgia's a all around great team. Kirby smarts built that team and their national championship caliber. I'd be surprised if that team isn't in the playoff hunt end of the year. Then with Clemson. Yeah, I don't know quarterback wise if they're going to have a Deshaun Watson level guy back behind center. However, this defense, I cannot wait to talk about them. They are going to be stacked Todd McShay came out with his first way too early mock draft like right after the NFL draft most of the guys in that first round Clemson and Ohio State defensive Mm -hmm. players like this team is stacked defensively and plus to me because of that and in the coaching side I'm giving the coaching um, to Dabo to Dabo because Dabo to me is the better head coach when it comes to him and Will Muschamp to me, there's a th- only three games that I could see losses. And that third one's a question mark because I could see South Carolina winning it. The only reason I put it as a question mark is it's in the swamp is Florida. Mm-hmm. And to me, that could be it. Though At the most, those three losses. If you go more than that, it's because a team like Texas A&M or a team like Tennessee or a team like Kentucky surprised you. Where you were the favorite, but they just Surprised you in the end, or they got a last second field goal kick and got the upset on you. But for me, an absolutely like dive bomb season this year for the Gamecocks, four losses. The best year you're looking at, two wins. However, if you exceed my two, expec- losses. two losses, your expectations, though, if you exceed mine, one loss at the least. However, I'm going two in mine.
0: I'll probably say I'll probably end on two losses, but I, I think best scenario is you, you end up with one loss, whether that's to Georgia mm-hmm. or whether it's an upset. But I, I think this team isn't going to go undefeated in the SEC. Could you East,
1: imagine but if they beat Georgia, win the tiebreaker, and play in Alabama or in Auburn in the SEC title it'd be game? Be
0: fun, man. Especially if that's Georgia's only loss. Uh-huh. Could you imagine that? Like then, then it's like and if, and if South Carolina loses in the SEC championship game. Could you imagine what that would do if Georgia mm-hmm. going back in, we'll talk about Georgia in a little bit, but again, yeah. Georgia, you know, being the runners up, mm-hmm. losing one game early in the season, what would that do, especially because you didn't win your your conference? gonna mm-hmm. be interesting to see.
1: No, what is even more, impre- like more not impressive, but interesting is last week when Brandon and I looked at the other side, mm-hmm. I mentioned with Alabama and Auburn that I could see with those two teams a – Auburn wins the Iron Bowl or Alabama wins the Iron Bowl. And that's the only loss for the other team so that it's all right. That's our only loss. You then won the SEC. You're the one seed. I'm the four seed. Let's go round two. Mm -hmm. And if that team that you beat, let's say Auburn wins the Iron Bowl, then Alabama one loss, Auburn no losses, then Auburn plays South Carolina and beats them. That could be a situation that then sets up the SEC to have another two teams in their conference yet again. Um, but before we move on, like you said, we haven't talked about Georgia yet. They're the last team we'll get to. Any final thoughts about the Gamecocks and Will, uh, Will Muschamp's boys?
0: Not really. I, th- I think this is this is just something that, again, Must Champ is probably a season where— he probably needs to define whether mm-hmm. he's going to be uh, one of those you know, great coaches or if he's just going to be a me- mediocre coach. Because again, he's he's been able to get wins, but he's mm-hmm. never been able to get to those big name bowls. Um, so I think he's he's a thing where you know this is probably a, a, a possible career defining season because you have the quarterback in place, you have the offense in place, mm-hmm. the defense isn't great, but you're known as a defensive coach. So I think that's the the one thing is if 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 champ has a great season, it's going to really define his legacy.
1: His best year. When it came to um, either at Florida or SC was in 2012 where his team only lost two games. they lost to number 12 Georgia, Georgia. Um, this was when Florida was the third ranked team in the country and then they lost their bowl game in the Sugar Bowl when they were fourth ranked or losing at two ranked 22 Louisville. So that's the best season he's ever had. Is an 11-2 and two year. Could probably, if everything goes right, have a similar season like that with South Carolina this year. But this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. Too high on the Gamecocks? Are we, I don't want to say we're too low. We didn't have them below four losses. Basically, mm-hmm. are we too high on the Gamecocks? What do you think of their new offensive philosophy they're going to put in place? And how many wins and losses would you have for them in 2018? Let us know what you think down below in that comment section. But, Sean, let's go into the last team, and we're saving the best for last. The runners-up from last year in the national championship, they were these close from being the national championships, and that is the Georgia Bulldogs. First question I want to ask you about them is probably over-seeded or or exceeded Mm -hmm. expectations last year does this team take a step back this year? Are they a team that not necessarily doesn't get back to the national championship game because making it back to back national championship games would be impressive, but is this could this be a Georgia Bulldog team that doesn't make the playoffs in 2018?
0: Could it's yeah, I think this could be a team that doesn't make the playoffs again. I mean, they over-succeeded um, expectations, like you mentioned, having a freshman quarterback mm-hmm. like Jake Fromm, and then also you're losing Roquan Smith, you're losing Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, you're losing some important players on this this team that made it to the national championship. Could I see them not making the national championship and not making the playoffs, for sure. It's tough to be top four team mm-hmm. back-to-back years in, in college football. But will this be a team that is in the race, in the running, in the top ten? For sure. This is a a team with a ton of talent, with a great head coach, um, that has a fairly easy schedule that outside of a couple games, they should be favored by 10 points. So this is a team that I think with Jake Fromm, who was a freshman, now has another year under his belt and performed fantastically, 21 touchdowns, 5 interceptions over 2,000 yards. This could be a team that that really makes some noise again for the second time um, in the NCAA.
1: And this is a team that I think like out of all the previews, this is gonna be our easiest one yeah. for this side because well it's really
0: how good will well, they be?
1: It's yeah, you mentioned like, oh, they lose Roquan Smith, oh they lose Sonny Michelle, oh they lose Nick Chubb. But they'll they'll have guys to fill up, especially on the defensive side. For me, out of those guys, the question is is DeAndre Swift and freshman Zamir White, are they gonna be able to fill the shoes of Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle? Just
0: some big shoes.
1: To me though the big question I look at the schedule. Last year they only had one loss before that national championship game and I'll count it. They only had two losses all year. Those two losses to the Auburn Tigers and to the Alabama Crimson Tide. Now Auburn they got to re they got to get the revenge yep. on Auburn in the SEC title game beating them 28 to 7. To me the only game I could see them losing yet again this year is Auburn. However, to me, that is the most crucial game of the year because I am going to throw a hypothetical at your direction, Sean. All right, do it. Last week, I told Brandon that my prediction, just to be fun with the SEC, is going to be that, I'll put it this way, Alabama beats Auburn in the iron ball. No, scratch that. Okay. Auburn beats Alabama in the Iron Bowl. All right. Auburn beats Georgia in the regular season. Georgia beats Auburn in the SEC title game. You have an Auburn team. You have an Alabama team. You have a Georgia team, all with one loss. The committee is set on fire. We're going home. We're not having a playoff this year. Because what do you do? You put all three of them in? No, no, you just
0: put Alabama in because that's what they would do.
1: That's the kind of situation, though, that we could be in where it's like, Georgia, Auburn, Georgia, Auburn, and, well, yeah, Auburn was the only one that had two losses. Those three teams could only have one loss again. Like, for Georgia, they need to beat Auburn in the regular season And they need to win the SEC title for me to get to the playoff because if a one-loss Alabama team could make the playoff last year, I'm not going to bank that, yeah, we could be the same. I'm going to say we need to maybe get out of this maybe – and I know coaches aren't going to think about this. I'm going to think about this. We need to get out of that. We need to go undefeated so it's an unsure, like, un, for sure doubt that we're in the playoff. If Georgia or goes no undefeated
0: and it's a close loss to mm-hmm. Auburn or Alabama in the SEC championship mm-hmm. game, they're in. If one of these teams finishes with one loss, mm-hmm. they're in, no matter what. Um, what if
1: three of them did, though? Do three of them get in? That would be insane.
0: I don't think that happens. Um, we just have an SEC playoff. <laughs> <laughs> An SEC playoff to Yeah. Get it <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's a crazy hypothetical, um, but and I think Georgia probably has the best shot of doing it mm-hmm. because yes, Auburn's on the schedule, but it's at home, so yep. that's gonna be the biggest thing. Um, and then also, you look at the other game and think possibly lose, and I think that's South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, just to start off the season, if Georgia's caught napping, but outside of that, I think it's a very easy road for them mm-hmm. um, to get back to that 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 um, you know that that playoff. Um, it's just really. I think it would come down to how bad did you beat them. So how bad did Georgia beat Auburn at home? Then how bad did Alabama beat Auburn? Um, or Auburn mm-hmm. beat Alabama? And then how bad did Alabama beat Georgia? I think it would come down to that. And I think we probably see two teams, again, in from the SEC, get to the uh, the, the the playoff. It's just really the, the question of which one. And I think Georgia probably has the best odds, mm-hmm. um, weirdly enough, because you know I think they beat Auburn at home, and then you just need to really go to that SEC title game and beat Alabama and get revenge, when they're going to be fired up to make sure they get that revenge of the mm-hmm. national title game, um, or you're going to go up against Auburn again where you have that confidence yeah. um, to, to, to beat them. So it, it's going to be something that's interesting, but I think Georgia probably does have the best shot to get back to the playoffs out, outside of those, uh, those three SEC teams.
1: And one thing that we did not mention in our South Carolina preview that I'm going to mention right now, mm-hmm. you know what makes that game against the Gamecocks even a little bit more interesting
2: it's for
1: up. Georgia is, so that game's going to be on the road in South Carolina. Yep. Last year, I'll take you in the way back machine. They play a little Appalachian State team, easy team, beat them 31 to 10. Then in their second game, they take a road trip to South Bend. That was a grueling game. They only beat them by one point. Yeah, it sucked. So, I mean, well, for you, because <laughs> yeah, Notre Dame fan, It sucked. But, I mean, we saw that story last year. It was also a monsoon. It was also a monsoon. But, like, we saw that story last year. Kirby Smart, I know coming out of week one, is going to be reminding his guys, like, hey, we can't be napping. We were almost caught napping last year. But they weren't, but, they weren't the same high-level yeah, team last year. And it was year. also
0: early on in the season. No some, one expected a ton from Georgia. Some would say
1: that that team or that game might have turned it because after that yeah. it was— 42-14, 31-3, 41 nothing 45-14. And Fromm, and
0: Fromm was just getting used to being yeah. quarterback. He wasn't bad in his mm-hmm. first two games, but he was just getting used to But that was probably the
1: game that snapped it, and then they just blew out everyone mm-hmm. except for their two losses to Auburn and... Alabama. I'm not going to yep. say the Oklahoma one was a blowout because it was in double overtime.
0: Yeah, and, and it wasn't a blow. I mean, they only won by yeah, what six points? Fifty-four to forty-eight. Um, so I, again, I think it's something where you look at this team and they're they're kind of settled in. I mean, it, it's it's something where you know they they have a very similar schedule from last year. They have Austin mm-hmm. P at home, and then they go away to South Carolina. I got a good team, and then they play another a cupcake. So I, I think that Georgia again is set up. Like I said. To be the team that goes and represents mm-hmm. the SEC in the playoff because there's going to be one team that gets there, and especially having that loss to Auburn mm-hmm. in, in, the, uh, in the in the regular season, um, and especially at Auburn, that's going to play into that that game um, in, in October. And then if you go to the SEC championship game, you want another win over. Alabama, you want to mm-hmm. be able to knock them in the mouth, especially after that overtime loss. You have a freshman quarterback, twenty six to twenty three, and they put their, uh, you know, freshman quarterback in, and you're up at Not halftime. Not just that,
1: that guy thought about transferring yeah, before that game. That was you
0: were up at halftime. That was like your game to win. Mm-hmm. I, I think Kirby Smart's going to get us guys fired up. Now it's just really can they be. Level headed in every single game. Can mm-hmm. they be level headed against South Carolina? Can they be level headed against Auburn? Mm-hmm. Can they make sure they stay on focus? And I think Kirby Smart will be able to do that. So I, I look at this this Georgia team. I know we haven't really talked about too much mm-hmm. about their players, well, but there's, n- there's not too much to say because you lost eight of the you know eight of the players on defense mm-hmm. um, from last year. But also, I trust their depth. They well, have a, they, they 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 know how to scout.
1: Let me ask you this. You say we haven't talked about the players. I'll ask you about one. Jake Fromm mm-hmm. is is he going to have? I'll, We'll play this game. Better, same, or worse season this year? Better. How much better?
0: Uh, I think he throws more interceptions, but I think he throws for more yards. Um, I think he probably throws for about 25 touchdowns. through threw five touchdowns last year, so maybe 10 interceptions t- and probably like 2,600 yards. Yeah, he had he 21 really, touchdowns last year. I think he has a really good year. I think, mm-hmm. I think again, he was limited because... He was a freshman quarterback. Mm-hmm. He was limited because he had fucking Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb as mm-hmm. his backs. Won't have those so, for sure. I think he's gonna see more of uh more of a usage mm-hmm. increase. And I think I think he's really gonna ball out because he, he didn't show me anything where he said, All right, that that's a bad quarterback. He showed me, All right, this kid's gonna be a starting NFL quarterback. In a couple of years, even though he's one, he's going to be an NFL quarterback when that time comes the next three years or in the next four years. He's a guy that I really like. Um, he's not a typical SEC quarterback. I think this kid's something special. And that's the reason why he got rid of Jacob Beeson, because mm-hmm. this guy is, again, and not get rid of J- Jacob Beeson, but this is why Jacob Beeson now had to transfer, because he wasn't mm-hmm. getting the starting job away from From because this kid's talented.
1: Yeah, and the one thing I want to ask you is, this isn't going to be a, will he take the job from Fromm? Because that question is no but will he be used this season at all because the big question is um going to be the starter but they've got a guy on this roster who is a true freshman Justin Fields mm-hmm. he's a guy that I watched I remember watching his announcement video oh, okay. um like his announcement video and I'm like oh he's going to pick L like he's he's going to pick LSU or um this team and he's like I'm going to go to the dogs and my first thought was you're a quarterback you do know Jake Fromm's right? Yeah. Like, that was my first thought. You do know you're not starting for at least two, maybe three years. And the thing that it says here, I'll read you what um, this preview I'm looking at says, where it says, True freshman Justin Fields was a five-star recruit who enrolled early and gives Georgia a great dual threat option the kind smart has hungered for since seeing Clemson's Deshaun Watson carve up his defense at Alabama. Is there a chance, whether the smallest, they give Fields some packages to use his dual threat ability and not necessarily make it a mm-hmm. true two quarterback situation, but in some situations, go, all right, we're going to bring Fromm off, we're going to put Fields in to have a small package four fields to help this offense to give it a different look at times.
0: I think so. I, I think that he can he, he can definitely get some some cuts in. I think I think he's going to be a guy that that definitely is used in packages because again, you know, if you have a guy that's this talented you're going to need to use him in, in different mm-hmm. ways. And, and you know, it's not going to be something where he's going to be used for a whole quarter. He's yeah. not going to be used for a whole half. But, but
1: you don't want it to be like every time he's in, oh, it's going to be a run. It's going to be a yeah, run, guys.
0: Load the box. I think it's something where you could use him in goal line situations. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw that uh, back in Texas where they had the 18-wheeler, um, you know, uh, you know, whole deal. I, obviously a different player. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that he's definitely going to be used, especially like, you know, hey, if the running game's not getting going, Let's throw them in there. Let's mm-hmm. see if we can get some read options, try to bust a big play. If they're backed up in their own zone, maybe they, you know, be like, hey, well, let's bring in the, the freshman and just have a guy, you know, let's make him think we're going to run, have mm-hmm. him run a, 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 a you know a, a fly route in the, on the on the outside and try to beat the defense. Like, I think he's going to be used in different packages. I don't think he's going to be used that much. I think Fromm's clearly going to be the, the starter and probably take mm-hmm. 80%, maybe 85% of the snaps this year. But I think Fields is going to get some work.
1: And I was going to ask you about the defense because I'm looking at the defense. But the thing that kind of maddens me about the defense is, yeah, you can say their biggest question is their secondary. But I kind of hated, like, I'm thinking in my mind, man, I kind of stinks for, like, a preview that we're sitting here going, Oh, they lost all these players. Ah, they'll be fine. And then not mention anything. Like, do you have, not necessarily a worry, but... Could this defense take a minor step back this year because they lost so much? They lost eight guys who started on this defense, and all of them, all four of them, at the linebacker position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've got guys to fill up, but will they take a, will they, same thing with Fromm, better, same, worse than last year for the defense?
0: Oh, for the defense, worse. I mean, that's just because they lost mm-hmm. massive playmakers. I mean, you lose Roquan Smith. You lose uh who's the other guy that they—the edge rusher? Lorenzo Carter. Yeah, you lose Lorenzo Carter. You lose uh, good old, good old uh, Roquan Smith. You're not going to have that leader mm-hmm. that you did in Roquan Smith. Do I think they're going to be much worse? No, I think they're still going to be a, a top mm-hmm. defense in, in, in the NCAA. Um, but I think they're going to be worse just because you're, you're losing the guy in the middle. You're losing mm-hmm. Roquan Smith. He is—I know there's 11 guys in the field, but he was— the guy in the defense that you looked at consistently. He was a guy consistently making plays, running back and forth around. It. And this is why he was a top ten pick, because of his abilities on the field, but also because he was a good leader. I think not having that player is going to be is going to at least damper this Georgia defense. I still think they're going to be a damn good mm-hmm. football team and win some games.
1: Well, and that's going to be to me the only the only hiccup that this team has and what will be the ultimate answer for how well they do this year. Because let's be honest, they're like, me and you have said in this podcast, I think, already, they're the favorites to win the East. They might mm-hmm. even be, like, unless it's Alabama, they could be, in some minds, the favorite to win the SEC again. Um, that might be more of a toss-up because, yet again, Auburn and Alabama are no joke, and those are who were assuming assuming or favoriting to win the West side of the ball. But I just, I feel like if this defense stumbles out of the gate, and a team like South Carolina gets them and pops them in the mouth and wins a game, that could be a game, that could be a thing that we look back and it's like, man, this this Georgia team, man, they finished the year good. Yeah, they did. Oh, man, they're like, man, that, that Auburn game was good. Too bad they lost it again. Oh, man, could you imagine what happened if they didn't lose that South Carolina game? Man, probably would have been a playoff team. Like... The defense to me is the biggest question, and that needs to—it's only of a how fast do they get on page to where they were last year or mm. to where a team like South Carolina doesn't shock them week two of the well, year. Well, I think
0: South is a good enough football team to give them some yeah. hell— I think, you but Georgia to be favored. But. but
1: if South Carolina won that game, it would send shockwaves throughout college football. For sure. sure.
0: But I mean, that's for with any upset. Yeah. So especially with a team
1: that's the runner up and yeah. so dominant.
0: I think Georgia is going to be a team that, again, like I said earlier, should mm-hmm. be favored in every single game they play by ten, and mm-hmm. even in that Auburn game, should be favored probably by seven. And that South Carolina game, maybe even by like nine, do or maybe you, even ten.
1: Do you think when we get our? Because I've got to look into it. When we get our first preseason rankings. Do you think Alabama and Georgia are
0: 1 2? I don't think I don't, I don't see any other team really jump in Georgia for that 2 spot. Maybe
1: a Clemson if the mm-hmm. voters like I mean, them more.
0: Clemson or Ohio State maybe, mm-hmm. but Georgia I I see Georgia being a top 3 team, Alabama mm-hmm. 1, um maybe Clemson, but again Georgia still has Kirby Smart. They still have Jake Fromm. Mm-hmm. They still have a pretty damn good defense, even though they lost eight of their starters. So I think they give the respect to Georgia. I think Georgia ends up at two.
1: I'm going to say my top five, because we're done with the SEC, my top five, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, and either Oklahoma or Auburn. I'll, one will
0: be five, one will be six. I'll say mine's the same thing, but put Oklahoma at five.
1: Okay. Let us know what you guys think down below about Georgia. What are they going to do this year? How fast is that defense going to load? Are they going to go back to the college football playoff? Could they be a national championship game participant yet again this year? Want to thank you guys well, for checking out the podcast. Go ahead. I want
0: to give you an update because this means okay. nothing to college football, but it means something college, to college basketball. basketball. Uh, final in the uh, F uh, in the FIBA uh, U U U eighteen uh, mm-hmm. Americans game. Uh, U.S. men's team wins one eighteen to twenty six over Panama.
1: Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I I told you, uh, I think his first name is Ayo, Um, one of the big guys on that team, hoping, knocking on wood, that he does uh, some great things for my Illini this year. But a little housekeeping here at the end of the podcast for you guys. Number one, if you want to be like Matt, which thanks to Matt again, it was a long time ago, um, but he was on this podcast at the beginning. If you want to be like Matt and join us for a podcast, make sure to check out Patreon.com backslash Most Podcast, where you can help support MVP each and every month. Also, make sure to check out our store either in the link in the description or check out MostValablePodcast.com where you can catch it. Make sure to get yourself an MVP t-shirt. Also, MostValPodcast.com is where you can catch MVP each and every day. And last but not least, if you're on Apple Podcasts, you have iTunes, have either or, make sure to go give the Primetime Podcast a five-star rating. Then type a little something about why other people should check out the podcast and why you like it so much. It would really mean the world to us. I want to thank you guys for listening to the podcast, whether it's on YouTube watching it or listening on podcast services around the world. We will be back next week where we will be doing the Big 12 in football, just shrugging through our college previews. But as always, have a good day, everybody.
2: Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast.